Quarter to three movie podcast for Bridge of Spies. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here, Christian Musorgsky. Uh, can we just call me the pole? It'll save time. And with our Bridge of Spies tagline, we have Kelly Wand. Uh, it's like Close Encounters, but with a happy ending. Huh. What? Interesting, Kelly Wan, Do you have a, Do you have one that's less confusing to me and Dingus? Because at the end, uh, you know, when they play the organ, they thought the lighting was the same. I thought that's what I thought you meant. It's bright, shining bright lights on your principal cast members. That to you is and, what Close Encounters was at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. And that that happens at the end of Bridge of Spies. Spoiler, yeah. It's also a hey, we're not so different kind of theme. Mm, okay, well, I'm more different yeah. from my family. I'm glad, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, Kelly, when I'm going to reject this tagline, I'd like a I'd like a backup. Finally, a movie that romanticizes Berlin. <laughs> I like that one, good. <laughs> now, let's say there was someone who didn't like that one. Would you have a different tagline for that person? It's like To Kill a Mockingbird, but with white people. Dingus, can you explain that one to me? Ah, <laughs> uh, you don't get that one. Come on, I bet even Dingus gets it. No, I can't. I'm just thinking of the word Boo Radley. Is it Kelly Wan? Because I haven't read uh, Ghost Set of Watchmen yet. Do I need to read that to understand your reference? No, it's because Tom Hanks is Atticus Finch. Oh, oh, oh! A lawyer, the lawyer. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And instead of defending a black dude, he's he's trying to help white people instead of the black man. Right. And everybody hates him for doing it. All right, fair everybody enough. hates him for doing it. Yeah, he's the asshole for right. even though in. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, I think he took on that job to because he's noble, but in Bridge of Spies, Tom Hanks' boss makes him do it. <laughs> well, let's discuss that when we get to the meat okay. of the podcast, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But first, Kelly Wan, why don't you, all all why don't you pit me and Dingus against <laughs> each other with some kind of contest? Oh, this is a movie I really like, but I don't think you've seen it, so that's your hint. That's okay, because a lot of times me or Dingus can get a movie from the synopsis, even if we haven't seen it. Mm. yeah. That's true that you guys are good at that. Well, rarely am I good at it. Tom is very good at it. Maybe Dingus has seen this, though, which wouldn't surprise me. Although he'll be offended if he gets it now. I thought it's good. Can I I pre-guess? Oh, Dirty Dancing. Yeah, go. No, I want to hear your pre-guess. Dirty Dancing. Okay, I didn't want to hear it. When Michael Corbin... (laughs) (laughs) I always love it when they begin with a character name, because that's, that's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's weird if you can get it, although movie names sound weird, huh? And I don't think it – I don't remember that this was the dude's name. When Michael Corbin, along with the rest of his high school French class, set out for a trip to France. Final destination. <sighs> don't they go on a trip to France? No? Isn't, they wouldn't, that kid's name wouldn't be Michael Corbin. I don't know. Look at him. <laughs> Michael Corbin. Breckenmeyer replaced a Michael Corbin. Sure. Wasn't that Breckenmeyer, by the way? No, he wrote uh, Bone Tomahawk. But also, um, 
Remember in Final Destination, the first one, like the cops are like, all right, how'd you know about the plane crash? And like, that's a huge subplot. And then in the other movies, the cop, there's no cops in any other movies. Like, yeah, all right, it's just those psychic kids again. Kelly Wan, in the best Final Destination movie, one of the casualties, one of the main characters is indeed a cop. It's the one who's like a, tra- a highway patrolman in the, the, the traffic accident. Oh, the second one? Yeah. I think that's the best Final Destination. We've had one. this discussion before, and I'm pretty sure I have convinced you of my correctness. Um, it's the best opening. I don't know. It's a complex question. A final destination consists almost only of its opening. The rest of it is just like busy work to get to the next movie's opening. No, because Drop Fucking Dead was an iconic moment. See, um, I don't. Even, I don't even remember it, so it can't have been that iconic. The bus, and also the first one sets up a lot of. I don't know. The first one they actually seem bummed that it's happening, and like, oh my god, what's his name's dead? And in the other movies, they don't, they don't really give a shit. You know what? That's a good point. The first one actually wasn't aware that it was part of a franchise yet, so the first I didn't one know does, it was a horror movie. Well, it definitely has a, a special. Yeah, it definitely has a different. The characters, the characters of that movie realize they're in a horror movie. It unlike most know. horror movies, they're like, what? What are the rules? Shit. This sucks. I thought we were just going to France. I like that Tom just gave the first movie sentience. It was not aware that it was part of the franchise. Well, by the way, so uh, that that means that am I am I correct? It's not. You sure it's not Final Destination? Because we talked a lot about Final Destination, which makes me think that. You was think I'd be that wrong? I'd, oh yeah, it is. Maybe. Michael Corbin. Maybe. Uh, he runs headlong into international intrigue. If you'd still like to guess Final Destination. Right. Agent Agent Michael Corbin has just been disposed of by the evil forces of Augustus Steranko. What? When it's ah, uh, yeah, that, names aren't helpful. It's not that. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. When it's learned that Michael Corbin is alive and well with an eye, and still on his way to France, he's besieged by both the good guys and the bad guys. He's besieged by them. Is it British? something like the man with one red shoe or one of those kind of things? Uh, it's kind of like one of those. That would be good because that's a Tom Hanks movie, isn't it? Oh, that would have been better than this. Well, I think – wasn't a Tom uh, Hanks movie a remake? Like it was – it predated no. that one, yeah. You can tell by the title it was – it's a remake of a French movie. Yeah. Like Le Cage à Fol, also a remake of a French movie. You might are not. they going off to France? Why are they going to France? What did you say at the beginning? It's high school. school. Yeah. Is it that Richard Grieco movie? It's a French class, which in movies means you go on a field trip to the country that you're learning the language of, even when you're in high school. Which, by the way, was never an option in my high school. Right. But is it is that that Richard Grieco thing? Yeah. I can't remember the title. Damn it. Well, it's Dingus really is closer to getting it, so Dingus definitely won this round. What's it called, Kelly Wand? If looks could kill, because Richard Grieco's handsome. I think that's the only thing that title means. There's no hot chick in it, because I think that's something... Yeah. But they don't, and one of them does try to kill him, but with a spider, right before what? he has sex with her. The oh, brunette yeah. evil. And again, Gabrielle Anwar's the the good one. Well, if Gabrielle Anwar's in it, and you think the title is about Richard Grieco, I invite you to take another look at young Gabrielle Anwar, Kelly Wand. <laughs> I look at her all day, but she was not in the movie enough to justify the title being revolving. When did that her. come out? When was that 80, out? 80, 88, 87? It had to be 87, because I remember, uh, I remember the quiz. I remember the girls I was hanging out with in high school being nuts about Richard Grieco. (laughs) 
You hung out with multiple girls who were all into Richard Grieco. I hang out with multiple girls who were into Duran Duran, actually. So uh, I think Richard Grieco falls under the same tent. They didn't like Johnny Depp. They liked Richard Grieco. Mm. Wait, is Richard Grieco the guy who was in Twenty Two Jumps, Twenty One Jump Street with Johnny Depp? Is it that guy? Yeah. The guy yeah. who was who was in the cameo who was aged very poorly. Who's in the cameo? Yeah. That's Richard Grieco. Oh. Yeah. yeah. See, tell, tell Dingus's girls that. But I remember him like being in, in the poster like in front of a like hot red car or something with his sunglasses on. He used to Philip Michael Thomas of 21 Jump Street. <laughs> but you never saw again. Even the, but John, John Donson. <laughs> John Donson is a Thanks good one. Uh, yeah, Richard Grieco. He was in... Uh, Night at the Roxbury is himself. He's the famous person in the movie. So, like, that they want to be like, like, oh, we could be like Richard Grieco, Will Ferrell. Anyway, Tom, you have some thoughts on Richard Grieco? My thoughts are that I would like Dingus to tell the listeners what movie we saw this week. Those are my thoughts. Well, this week we saw Bridge of Spies, Mm -hmm. a 2015 American historical drama thriller based on true events movie about the spy trade during the Cold War. Get it? <laughs> trade. It was directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Matt Chartman. Charman. Matt Charman. I couldn't decide if it was Matt Charman or Matt Charman. And Ethan Cohen, Ampersand, Joel Cohen. It stars Mark Rylance, Tom Hanks, Jesse Plemons... Austin Stowell, and Scott Shepard. Bridge of Spies is rated PG-13 mm-hmm. for some violence. Well, <laughs> what? Machine guns, hello. You don't what? see anything. It's just people fall down. It's no worse than like in a John Ford movie. There's a gunshot effect. There's a gunshot sound, and somebody just clutches his chest and goes and falls over. It's that kind of thing. That's... I'm officially declaring myself a volunteer member of the MPAA, <laughs> and I'd like to add uh, coin vandalism to the slip. <laughs> <laughs> and also, right, so that would go with X Men First Class as well. Good. And, that's and also, Dark Knight. Right. You'd like to add that to the list? Yeah, I, I needed to get the bat off my shoulder before you Some violence, Dark Knight, coin vandalism, and what else? <laughs> also, the only other thing is brief, strong language. Well, yeah. Hey, we have, have an F word. He, he F'd it all. He F'd the whole thing up. The thing is, though, it's the same, like, it's the same line they use twice, basically. Right. I, I, it's kind of like, it's almost like the same F word, in the, because it's in the same context, but it's just, like, repeated. It's Martian F word. Because this movie yeah. is totally shy about reusing lines. <laughs> well, come on, Davis. Uh, Some of the dialogue's good enough to be used three times. Uh, a lot of it is. Uh, Bridge of Spies opened at number three behind <laughs> Goosebumps and the Martian. Ouch. What? Martians? Me. Number two? The Martian beat during its opening weekend, yeah. Uh, the Martian was going strong. And it oh, beat- wait, I forgot this movie's old. Sorry. Uh, it made $15 million on its opening weekend. Uh, on Metacritic, it is at 81. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at that little sweet spot of 92% positive reviews. 92, wow, that's great. Kelly Wand, could you favor us oh. with the Bridge of Sopsis? 
Was that close? That's pretty close. There's not much to go on with it, is there? So, not to belittle your victory, which <laughs> wasn't victory. You didn't get it right, but <clears throat> it's pretty close for you. Okay, thank you. Does that, does that sound? I'm happy sense? with that. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get, Calyon. <clears throat> All I had was Bridge of Spopsis. Sure. Words in a somber font are all. In 1957, Americans were scared shitless of Russian peasantry. So to teach them a lesson, we irradiated some of our soldiers at Bikini Atoll, invaded Cuba, went to the moon, and chased some guy out of a train station. The following movie, unfortunately, is only about the last one. Tom, you better not be muted again, motherfucker. All right. I, I was getting a drink of water, and you almost... You're allowed to drink. You almost made me do a spit take. You'll be glad to Okay, me. good. I'll take your spit take. Uh, Hurry up in arms. Oh, too soon? Martin Scorsese's painting a picture of himself looking unhappily. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Really? So random. That's what he looks like. I can't go John Cazal. See? Take that. (laughs) He frowns at it. Yes? No, never mind. Go on. Martin Scorsese is painting a picture of himself, looking unhappily at himself, painting himself. He frowns at it. This isn't what he wanted at all. He goes to the window and looks out, then goes out and sits on a bench. He buys a nickel from a coin salesman and goes back home. He uses a spatula to open up the nickel and finds a secret message inside. I lean over to Eric Banya sitting beside me and go, Remind me to try that with some hundreds when I get home. He's having sex with the Wailing Woman, by the way, when I look over him. Okay. Scorsese <laughs> unfolds the message in slow motion, turns on his X-ray telescope, and squints at the tiny text. It says, a smile is your passport into the hearts of others. <laughs> White man. <laughs> Scorsese frowns at this. He hasn't found this to be true at all, and he knows something about passports. He goes to a train station. A fat guy chases him, but he tricks the guy by being less fat. But the fat guy tricks him back by knowing where he lives. Why didn't they just wait for him there in the first place? Anyway, the fat guy and some friends burst into his apartment and go, Okay, wise guy, we're with the TWA. You're under arrest for being Russian. We should now rifle your belongings haphazardly. You have the right to be interrogated. Scorsese's all... Can I burn a piece of paper real quick? Uh, I should rehearse voices from now on. No, you should not. Shouldn't be a surprise to me and you. The fat guy's all, of course, we're not animals. As long as what you're burning isn't anything espionage related. Scorsese shrugs. The fat guy nods. When Scorsese comes over, one of the agents is already setting fire to the paper. The guy's all, I didn't overhear you guys, by the way. I'm just doing this. Meanwhile, Tom Hanks is a lawyer. He drinks with another lawyer in a bar and goes, Look, so my guy on a unicycle ran over your five clients and five parked Winnebago's. But if a tidal wave, an earthquake, a plague, another tidal wave, and a famine all kill someone, five insurance companies don't pay the environment, five settlements. (laughs) Is this Tom Hanks or Kevin Costner? I couldn't quite tell. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's Forrest Gump as Costner as Forrest Gump. I see. Okay. It's kind of that's how I would sound if I was from, if I'd been born in the South. The guy's all, "Wow, good point," and hands him his wallet. The next day, Hanks goes to work for Alan Alda. Tom <laughs> Hanks is all, oh, "I think I work here already, Kelly." Alda's all, <laughs> "Who?" Tom Hanks is all, <laughs> "Alan Alda." Alda hands him his wallet and goes, "Wow, you're good. How'd the Winnebago alcohol conversation go?" Ugh. Thank God he's not in this war. Tom Hanks is all. I use math to win with the dash Gregory Peck star power. Alda's all. Wow. And hands him five wallets. Speaking of witch hunting, a Russian spy's going on trial for being a Russian spy. Since there's no Guantanamo yet, we need you to convince a hostile jury and judge that you hate America. Hanks is all. Okay. He goes to see Scorsese and goes, Hi, I'm your lawyer. Scorsese's all. Are you good at your job? Hanks is all. Well, this is a period piece like Catch Me If You Can, which I was also in, although that also had Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Garner in it, playing a hooker. Why, well, this time it's just me and you. He looks at the audience uneasily. But it's still Spielberg and me, uh, like the Terminal. Although, post-Crystal Skull Spielberg. <laughs> Meanwhile, in a first-grade physics class, a movie is teaching kids how to avoid heat. We're like three minutes into this fucking movie. There's a bunch of shots of nuclear bombs blowing up dust and Indiana Jones getting into a refrigerator. <laughs> One kid's teary-eyed. He's all, this is the best movie I've ever seen. When Tom Hanks gets home from school that night, his sons turn the family bomb shelter into a bathroom. Tom Hanks is all, nice! What's that smell, though, son? Radiation? The kid's all, uh, I used the toilet as a test. Tom Hanks is all, after your mom's meatloaf? Jesus. <laughs> Bridges spots this. Papa, why are you defending a spy? Everyone hates your principles. Speaking of which, I'm getting bullied at school. By the principal. Life isn't fair. Why can't I be the bully? Tom Hanks is all. Well, son, if you're so scared of nuclear war, shouldn't you want me to de-escalate shit by defending the Russian? Although duck and cover still good advice if, like, a turtle's attacking you. It's like a standoff. The next day, the judge is all. The CIA had no search warrant? Hanks, I had to hold you in contempt. Hanks is all. They also incurred some fire damage on his codes. I moved for a continuance. The judge is all, shut up, Hanks, you're not trying this case. He bangs his gavel. Case dismissed. Uh, we're in your chambers. The judge bangs his gavel again. Order, I say. Bail set at infinity. Now get out of here before I show you what's under this robe. Tom Hanks is all, stupid system. He gets on a crowded elevator. Everybody in it starts farting, except for him. But they all still stare at him, coldly and angrily. One woman in a fur hat's all, why aren't you farting, Tommy? He's all, trust me, if you'd smelled my son's bomb shelter last night, the last thing you'd be questioning is my patriotism. He looks at a brick she's holding with his name on it and goes, is that for me? She's all, not yet. He sighs, goes home, opens the door, waits, sighs, and shuts it. The second it closes, the brick comes sailing through his window, followed by a bunch of gunshots. 
His teenage daughter on the couch screams and dives for the floor. He's all, Debbie, that only works against nukes, honey. His son marches in the front door with a smoking pistol and excitedly goes, Did I kill Debbie? He sees his sister unarmed and looks dejected. <laughs> he throws the gun away disgustedly. Remember, guys, when that happened in the movie? Tom Hanks picks up the brick and reads it. He was really traumatized by the nukes. Tom Hanks picks up the brick and reads aloud, Dear Tom, this is for doing your job. We support you. Best a small minority of the community, mostly Russians. Another brick smashes through the window. Tom Hanks picks it up and reads, We another faction of locals disagree. A third brick smashes through. Tom picks it up and reads, A smile is your passport into the hearts of others. <sighs> hmm, I wonder what the bullets say. Some cops walk up. One's all, we got a call in about a lawyer living here defending a commie. The fatter cop sidles up to Hanks and goes, who do you think you are, asshole? We fought against those guys in World War II for nine years. Now I got to come to your house and listen to your daughter cry? Fuck. Hanks is all, I guess democracy has shades of solid gray at room temperature. The next day in court, Hanks is all, and so, your honor, my response to that was, I guess democracy has solid shades of something. So that's my closing argument, I guess. The judge is all, Mr. Hanks, to reiterate what the jury announced ten minutes ago, your client's been found guilty. Now, for sentencing, I intend to propose the death penalty, but not till tomorrow, because I have to change my shirt tonight for a dinner. Courtroom out of order. He bangs his gavel against something. Everybody stands up muttering incoherently and snapping flash bulbs. Hanks guides the Russian out of court through the hallway and sits him down in an electric chair. He puts the electrode hat on his head and goes, Oh, well, I guess we lost. You may not get the death penalty. I don't really know much about the laws in this state. You want to listen to me say more stuff? Scorsese's all. Would it help? The Russians in my audience laugh. They're well familiar with that adage. Scorsese's all. You remind me of someone my dad once stared at. Long story short, he kept getting beaten up. You don't look like you can fight either. He stands up and does something with his arms and goes, Roy Labushka Beluga. I think that was his girlfriend's name. Meanwhile, in a top secret desert, you and your fellow pilots have been assigned to take pictures of the ground in Russia or Germany and also close-ups of any missiles they shoot at you. In the event you are captured, you will remove this special coin and use the poison needle inside it. Yes, Private Hartnett. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> I read that the Russians and their coins, uh, they're using to keep little fortune cookie messages in. Is there any way we could get some of those instead? The poison needle thing sounds dumb. I mean, how many names we can be able to kill with that? Can't you just give us guns? Meanwhile, Tom Hanks goes to the judge's house. When he comes into the old man's bedroom, the judge is wearing a tank top and a leopard speedo while he goes through one of his closets. He's like, what now, Hanks? Remember something else the police officer said to you about democracy? Police officer, what? The judge is all, I'm a very busy man, Hanks, obviously. Put out or get out. Hanks is all, sir, let's not kill the Russian yet. Our spies are idiots. They get captured all the time. They're our economic students. Let's hang on to him in case we need to make a trade at the end of the movie with communist spy agencies. And by the way, my guy's still innocent. The next day in court, the judge is all, And since Tom Hanks came to my house last night and talked to me while I was wearing a pair of these, I realized his opinion is better than mine. The Russian lives. 
<laughs> the judge bangs his gavel while the crowd looks on in fascinated horror. Hank Scorsese embrace. Uh, a little visual. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the air over Germany, Hartnett's all, okay, looking good, Hartnett to base, I'm over Germany. Repeat, Hartnett is airborne. Now I'm about to turn on my secret spy camera and take some fucking pictures, brah. His radio crackles and Michael Ironsides is all, yeah, can you maintain radio silence like we asked you to, please? The Reds can hear everything. Whatever. I'm now turning my camera's flashbulb on. He hits a button on his instrument panel and ejector seats high into the stratosphere as his jet explodes. Some words are all. Meanwhile, on the west side of soon-to-be East Germany, a brown-haired American student who looks just like Josh Hartnett also looks at soldiers erecting the Berlin Wall and goes, Hey, you guys know a wall won't deter air units, right? Didn't Greg and Marsha try this on the Brady Bunch? A German colonel's all, Einstein, try! And spanks him angrily. One grabs the kid's notebook and goes, Ich bin ein Bleistift! The Germans all laugh and play keep away with the notebook while the brown-haired guy runs around grabbing for it. He's all, come on, guys, it's my homework. (laughs) It's a different time. They hit him with a rifle butt and start laughingly proofreading his paper and publishing it. <laughs> so sadistic. A girl watching Zoll. Randy, your rifle butt, no! The colonel Zoll. Put him in the cell near the other brown head Americana. We will interrogate them both about the destroyed camera footage plane incident. The kids all, actually, here's my thesis on spy planes, if that's helpful. They grab it away and hit him with a rifle butt again. The girls all, Randy, your schulwerk. She rides home and eats dinner. Back in America. And that's what a gavel is. Order, there's no need for us to deliberate. In the eyes of the Supreme Court, relying on the intelligence of our pilots and ability of our economic students to notice a wall's going up across the city before the final bricks placed would be dumb. The Russian lives. Everybody takes pictures of flashbulbs. A red-haired man who looks like David Fichtner, wearing Carell's nose from Foxcatcher, flashes a CIA badge at Hanks and goes, Nice work, Counselor. <laughs> Tom, did you see Foxcatcher? You told us we didn't get it, remember? I did, yes. Tom Hanks is all, well, all I did was listen to the verdict, Red, but it still made me sleepy. Not that, you asshole. The Russians read what you said about capturing spies. Now they have two of our guys. Listen, we really like the way you made a fool out of us and threatened national security, so we'd like to offer you a job. Broker in exchange between our brown-haired guy for Scorsese. We can't really help you. In fact, we might try to kill you just to fool the Soviets. What do you say? Well, I don't know. I have a lot going on in my life. Well, I know it's a lot to ask, since you'd be away from your wife and kids for a whole month. When do we leave? Not much happens in Berlin. Forgot Amy Ryan was in it. Not much happens in Berlin. When Tom Hanks first gets there, Fichtner picks him up in a car and goes, Okay, I may not be able to legally help you, but I can at least show you what you need to know. There's the wall. Good luck. He dumps Hanks into the snow, then peels out, spraying Hanks in the face with snow gravel. Then as he circles around and drives past again, he's all, Oh yeah, don't let them try talking to get your economic student back for free. Not interested. 
He sticks out his middle finger and drives off, high-fiving the Germans with rifles watching from the nearby guard. <laughs> Tom Hanks shakes his head. The craziness of it all. Gets to his feet, wipes snow off his coat, starts to head towards the wall, then trips and falls again into a deep mud puddle. Later, a line, fuck this shit. Excuse me, I'm an American spy here on a secret mission. Excuse me, out of my way. Please don't draw attention to me, by the way. I'm on a mission. Spy. Excuse me, secret mission. Beep, beep. <laughs> Undercover. The movie slogs on. Tom Hanks's coat is almost stolen by a gang of American street toughs, but he tricks them with his lawyer's wiles by just letting them have it. <laughs> Heroically. When he gets to the National Spy Building... Excuse me, uh... I'm here to buy back a spy pilot off some Russians. Uh, this is Berlin, sir, not Moscow. He goes into a room. The second Anders Scorsese's family jumps up from behind the furniture and pounces on him. The wife starts kissing him. The kid starts humping his leg. The dog starts humping his face. Hanks is all, Oh, I think there's been a misunderstanding. The wife's all, Nonsense, you're a great American Satan. You saved my Monty from the judge's speedo. He say you remind him of someone boring from his childhood. A Russian man comes in and goes, Ah, oh, Mr. Hanks, welcome. I thought it would sweeten honeypot for you to be assaulted by this horrifying peasant family. Dog is mine, by the way. Ten minutes later. And that's why I want two of our guys back for the Russian. I should point out I specialize in getting five or something for one in legal arguments in America, especially when the one thing isn't all that valuable. No offense, Mrs. Scorsese. But we are also talking about senile old man here, Mr. Hanks, who will not likely live very long. Pardon me, Mrs. Scorsese. Look, fine by me if you want to shoot him in the head the second you have him. No offense, Mrs. Scorsese, but we're getting both our guys back. Arista assured I'll see to it that Russian son of a bitch's life's about to become a living hell, and he dies in his own fill. Sorry, Mrs. Scorsese. Meanwhile, eventually, the meeting ends with nothing resolved. <laughs> Two hours unresolved. That night, Hanks rides home by train. For some reason, he's staying in West Berlin, which means he has to give the JDs a new coat every morning and commute. Suddenly, he looks through the train window and watches his bunch of kids get shot trying to rush the wall. He's all, someone really should have told those boys about the guard towers. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning. Tom, are you muted? No, no, not at all. Just thoughtful. The next morning, Tom Hanks tricks Fickner by ordering him breakfast. Then he goes to a bicycle room to meet with a Russian German. The guy Hanks is there to see heard he was coming over and took off. So instead, Hanks drags the kids. Fuck. So instead, Hanks drags the guy's 15-year-old PA out to a bench and goes, Listen, asshole, you tell your boss I said it's both our guys for Scorsese, and I won't take no twice for answers. Also, tell him it's happening tonight at 11.38 on Spy Bridge. Two snipers each. We'll also trade them afterwards. And he has till 11.31 tonight to call me at 0678-3457-654-672-13987 to make a decision, or I want my coat back. Now read all that back to me. The kid scribbles on a pad. Listen, asshole. Okay, what? That night on Spy Bridge. Sure is cold out, huh, Scorsese? Would it help? <laughs> hey, are they going to shoot you? I still think it's a good deal. Maybe even better. 
In my country, we have a saying, the back seat of the car is only for hugs in America. But maybe my saying that's just a red herring, or as we call it in Russia, a herring. <laughs> a guy holding a phone. <laughs> a guy holding a phone's all. Speaking of which, the car with the economic students running 30 seconds late. Ah, never mind, here it is. <laughs> Tom Hanks gets back home and hands his wife a fishing pole. She's all, hey, this is Herring's from Stinky's Fish Barn down the block, and you told me you went to East Berlin for marmalade. He's all, look, getting story straight not part of my job description. When they go in, his ten perpetually five-year-old girls are all watching the news as usual. The newscaster's all, and in Bridge News, Tom Hanks is single-handedly responsible for complicating a transaction with communists. <laughs> They all stare at their dad with new respect. The cute ones all, I thought dad was marmalade. All the parents in my audience go, aww, and laugh affectionately at how the gullible kid was duped. The next morning, Tom Hanks celebrates being on the news by riding a train. He looks out the window and smiles brad barrelly at the freedom-loving sight of some kids jumping a fence without getting shot and then robbing a liquor store. <laughs> Tom Hanks sees the old farting woman in the fur hat on the train. Now she's reading a newspaper headline that says, Spies on bridge get in cars. Tom Hanks also present. <laughs> the old woman stares at his face while music plays. <laughs> then at the newspaper. Although his picture's on the front page, she has the paper open. So I'm not sure who she's looking at. He smiles seductively at her and farts with dignity. She's all, I guess when I threw the brick through your window that night, I was wrong for thinking it was because you're Russian. He's all, well, ma'am. When he gets off the train, she smashes a brick through the window of the bus that lands near him. He picks it up and reads, call me sometime. She sticks her head and fur hat out the window and goes, that crescent scrawled on there is a picture of one of my boobs. He's all, Okay. As he walks in slow motion into a gas station restroom and closes the door, music plays. Some words are all. Tom Hanks' character quit practicing law and went into standing on bridges full-time. He died in 1958 from a brick-related head injury. He died in 1958 from a brick-related head injury while a Russian bridge collapsed under him. Martin Skorsovsky was reunited with his wife and family and begged the U.S. government to take him back and retroactively cancel the trade. Today, he remains at peace and executed. The pilot guy crashed again on his next mission, but in Mexico this time, so the exchange rate to get him back was way cheap. <laughs> some cotton balls. They need cotton balls. The economics student decided he learned all he could about Berlin train systems, and in 1979 went to work at the embassy in Tehran. <laughs> then later, the economist of the World Trade Center in early September 2001. Oh, my God. Just can't catch a break. The Berlin Wall was eventually dismantled and moved to the border between Texas and Mexico, where it's now a popular tourist destination on one side. I look over at communist me shivering in the snow-covered seat on the other side of the barbed wire fence between us and go, I guess since for you guys it's always winter, nuclear winter doesn't sound all that horrifying. He's all, must get lonely eavesdropping only on yourselves. 
we kiss. The end. Wow, surprise ending there, Kelly Wand. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. See? That's how Bridge of Spies is. Mm. That's how the Opsis is. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, you may as well have muted yourself, huh? What? No. Kelly Wand, you're... Please. You're impossible. I wasn't talking to you. You think I didn't enjoy the Opsis? I don't know. That's I was too one. busy reading it. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, okay, who wants to go first? Any volunteers? Uh, hmm. I just went. All right, I'll go first. Uh, so let's see. I my my problem with this movie, which I enjoyed, uh, is I think it's two movies that I don't think necessarily belong together. Um, I my favorite movie was the first part, which was kind of a procedural about how we treat prisoners uh, and and their constitutional rights. You know, the fact that people we don't like who are reprehensible to us, they still are protected under the Constitution. And that's enormously relevant to how we have denied some people due process because of the way we're conducting the war on terror. Uh, I liked that movie. Um, once it morphed into a kind of a political thriller, I was a li- I kind of felt like it didn't fit. And it basically added 90 minutes of running time, which... I'm not, I'm not sure why it was there other than, you know, it's a true story. Um, true stories are boring. They don't have to be. Uh, no, but they, you have to mangle them and change stuff, and they change stuff for this, sort of, a little. Well, the, the fir- like I said, the first half of the movie, which was a true story, I was okay with, but I think that's why it became a political thriller, is they wanted to Keep going. make a movie about how it just so happens that the guy who defended him negotiated his release. I mean, that's a hugely relevant detail, of course, that that's pertinent to the story. But narratively, I'm really... And, and you're right, Kelly Wan, like, true stories are either boring or they don't make good movies, because I kind of feel like narratively, it became a different movie, and I didn't like that different movie as much. I didn't think it was as well done. And I get so... I, I mean, some people, I guess this is reviewing well, but I, I get so put out... With Spielberg's sappiness, with the way yeah. this is a movie, especially for this kind of a movie, it just killed it for me. By the time it was over, I was like, "Oh my god, really?" Like the fact that he sees the same woman who was glaring at him when he was in the paper for one reason, now he's in the paper for another reason, and that same woman gives him an approving look, and mm. you know the, the the kids jumping over the fence and not getting shot. I was just like, "Oh my god, this is so, so spot on." It's so heavy handed, and it reminded me of the way he had to end Munich with a shot of the World Trade Center. I'm like, we get the point. I mean, this is so, like, what kind of idiots do you think the audience is that you've got to, like, play it so, like you said, Kelly Wan, so spot on? Like, we understand. You know, when he's looking out the train window as, as the suburbs are going by, that was all I needed to relate it to the train incident in, in Berlin. So I just get so put out. Anyway, that I really liked the first half of the movie. It reminded me in ways of Lincoln, which, spoilers, my over. Um, but, and, but Lincoln had this great sense of focus that I felt this movie didn't because it had to have a second half, I guess. So there's my take. Who's next? Well, he just can't help himself, can he? He cannot help himself but to gild the lily and be heavy-handed. He just can't help himself. Not anymore. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to me the way that he just lays it on. Uh, Do you remember the first moment where you felt that during this movie? Yeah, the standing man monologue with the the somber, reverent horn soundtrack. I think that's... That's, that's why I was like, oh my god, we're, he's going to do a bunch of more of that. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's exactly but, the moment where I felt it, because I really liked um, the idea of that. I, I liked 
Uh, I liked what Mark Rylance was doing up until that point, although I didn't know he was just going to basically frown for the whole movie. Um, but when when he's telling that story, um, and he's sort of giving us this insight into the Russian soul or this this idea of of this particular thing that he learned, and Spielberg just cannot help himself. He's got Thomas Newman this time instead of uh, John Williams, just pouring on the sound, and it, and for me, it, and he has done this so many times. And if it if it were just like here or there, but he just can't help himself. He can't help but use music in a soundtrack the way that uh, sitcoms use laugh tracks. And we we have to lead you to what you have to feel. I, why can't you trust the the writing? And more importantly, your actors or even your direction. Why can't you trust any of that? Why do you have to lay all the schmaltz onto it? The thing is, early on, thing is, I was noticing, wow, there's not a lot of music in this yeah. at first because there are yeah. long passages in the first without dialogue or music, and I was kind of like, wow, this is kind of different. This is cool, and you know, then there was like a music during a chase scene. They got kind of exciting. I forget when the second bit was, but yeah, by the time those horns started on the Standing Man monologue. It was like vintage Spielberg, yeah. Boy, and that is the moment where I started to go, okay. And then he does all these really ham-handed, and I think you called it heavy-handed, and I think you're absolutely right, these ham-handed callback moments that the two newspaper things, the two two kids jumping over the fence thing or guys jumping over the fence things. I mean, honestly, do you not think that we understand what the scenes are about? You have to have a guy standing up in the back of the courtroom going, in God's name, why don't we hang him? Yeah, we get everything you're talking about. And and that's why I love, and I didn't have Lincoln as my over, but I understand why you would. That's why this movie made me appreciate Lincoln so much more because he had so much more focus. And there, there is something to be focused about here. You don't have to, you don't have to drag this whole thing out. There's, there's this great, um, almost, I don't know, and I didn't think of it until you started talking about that. Tom, this dead man walking kind of a thing where 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 he's doing this for this particular reason and he has a particular reason but Spielberg cannot help but just hammer us over the head and it just by the end of it it just makes me so mad because he he just has no respect for the audience whatsoever. All right, so Kelly Wan, Dingus is livid. How do you feel about this movie? Well, yeah, I mean, it made me re appreciate other movies that I didn't think were that subtle at the time, like Amistad and Munich. Munich's my over, because that's at least, to me, an interesting story. And this, I didn't understand why this was ballooned out to... Because that was also a period piece, too. And there was, But there was a lot of stuff I liked in Munich, and there was like a brutality to Munich, and it was about interesting people making interesting calls. And this was just, like, I don't understand why I was watching this movie. <laughs> I don't see what he did that was so such a big... Like, they didn't need him to, to make... And also, apparently at RL, the Germans were trying... were They were super trying to offload the, the student. Like, oh, they, really? Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, they really wanted to make a deal, and he was there early. So the whole end of the movie, and in fact, the fact the fact that that's sort of the linchpin of the whole plot of the third act is like, right. oh, I got to get that kid back, right. and that that's that's like the fabricated part of the story. Just makes me, I don't know why, 
like what the true part of it is, and I think it's just what you guys are saying, where he's just trying to like he's like a grandpa now, and I think he's just trying to like show kids today, like look how different it was. We had to watch movies about nuclear Armageddon, and when you when you try to jump a fence in Germany, they'd shoot you. It's way different, and so it's like he's just feeling like we're like his grandkids, basically. We're the audience for that now. Well, I mean, he set that up. He just can't help but show something obvious. I mean, it's really annoying. As someone who grew up in the Cold War, though, I, I did like some of that stuff, too, is because is, I, I think kids these days and a, a lot of adults these days don't really have a sense what it was like. I don't disagree with that message, but yeah. What it, what it was like growing up in, in this context where, where you really believed at any moment the world might be plunged into this thermonuclear devastation. I mean, it's a terrifying way to live. And imagine today if if there was this widespread perception that terrorists might blow up your building at any moment. Right, right. You know, kids don't feel that way. Terrorists would obviously go for some landmark or something. You don't feel constantly in danger. But the zeitgeist at <laughs> the landmark. The, the zeitgeist is that terrorism is the boogeyman these days. It was basically that the Russians would start raining down nuclear weapons on us, and it was yeah, a terrifying which, thing. Which, uh, by the way, I would say is a way worse boogeyman. Like they got it. The kids actually have it easier today because terrorism is like I'll take my chances, but like we grew up with like the whole world's gonna get blown up. Well, the Cold War was, I mean, a, a, a hugely important struggle, and yeah. as far as me growing up, and as far as the right, history of the twentieth right. century, and. Uh, and it came up all the time in political discourse. Yeah, uh, and so I, I liked him revisiting that, and I liked him revisiting, uh, just like George Clooney and Grant Heslov did with Good Night and Good Luck, uh, they made a story about the media's responsibility in basically the generation of the Iraq invasion, but they right. told it about uh, the, the, the media during the McCarthy era. This, I think, you know, as, as I mentioned before, a story about the importance of the Constitution – even during the Cold War, you know, I, I think that's hugely relevant. I liked that that part of the movie quite a bit. Uh, I liked how it it set this issue at an earlier time, and basically it was like, you know, obviously anybody watching sees how the Constitution is important here. You see what a dickhead the judge is, and how how judgmental and misunderstanding this cop is. And I love, by the way, the line that the cop had: "What am I not getting here?" Because right. everybody knows. I mean, it's a great way to put it. Um, right. So I think seeing a movie about look how important this issue was back then, where the audience is like, well, yeah, of course, duh, should make right. people think, and it's it's a great way to illustrate that's hugely important today. You know, even if we hate people, even if we don't like an issue, uh, the Constitution is the foundation for our country. There's a, there's a great line, by the way. Uh, and part of part of my watching this movie is wondering what parts of this movie are the Coen brothers responsible for. And I'm not sure you can really untangle that. But there were some really good bits in this movie. Uh, and one of my favorite was a line where uh, he says something about um, – oh, shoot, I even wrote it down uh, – about who we are and how that's a hugely important weapon in the Cold War. Dead it. Where was that? Well, what, the line I liked is, will we, st- will, will we stand by – Will he stand by his cause? Will we stand by our cause less resolutely? Right. He stands by his. That that whole idea that he's talking about before the Supreme Court about the resoluteness of his cause—that he has been an honorable man—and are we going to be less so? I mean, I loved that. Will will we stand by our cause less less resolutely than he stands by his? Yeah, yeah. I love that. 
And, and that whole thing that you're talking about as far as the Cold War is concerned, I remember things about that, too. And that's why I did really like that scene where Tom Hanks is in the bathroom with with his kid and, and like listening to him talk about what he's learned in school. Because the thing that I remember from my childhood is when uh, the when the Soviet Union shot down the Korean Airlines plane. And there were Americans on that plane. And I got home that day from school, and I was raised in a very conservative household, so I had a, kind of a narrow understanding of what these things meant. And I said, well, the Russians shot down a plane, this Korean airliner, with Americans on it. Why aren't we at war? I mean, that was my question. Why, flatly, why aren't we at war? Uh, my, and my stepdad kind of had to sit down with me and go, well, it's not that simple. War would mean this. So... You can't just make that jump, even though, like, yes, an American has been killed by somebody that we are at a Cold War with, but that doesn't mean we can go to war, and this is why we cannot go to war. And Tom Hanks is talking to his son, saying they're not really going to do that. Nobody's afraid that they're actually going to do that thing. And I really liked that scene. But that was during the missile crisis, right? Was that? That would have been a few years later, but yeah. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I do think Dingus that people did fear that that was going to happen, and that. Uh, uh, yeah, but he's trying to reassure his talk it back to say that even though people are afraid of this, this is not really a reality. And let me let me make it less so that you have to draw maps and fill and keep our bathtub full of water for the next twelve months. See, I what. Uh, just for, for my own personal background, by the way, I remember when that Russian airline was shot down. I found out I was working at a, as a copy boy at the at the, at the at a newspaper in Arkansas, and I showed up for work. And okay. one of the one of the copy editors, the guy, I remember this guy's name. His name was Gerald Koontz, and he was totally this old stoner. Uh, the moment I showed up, he said to me, uh, "Hey, you're probably about to get drafted." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yep, they just shot down a Russian airliner. It's probably me war. I hope you filled out the draft card." Because uh, you're, we're, I think that's what's going to happen to you. And I remember sitting there at work that night thinking, "Fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they didn't have draft cards back then. Did they? Uh, they did. It was shortly thereafter that wasn't it. They're, like I remember having to fill out a draft card, not a draft card, but you just you had to register for the draft. Is what? It yeah, was. you you always had to register for the draft when you turned eighteen. Yeah, yeah. I was worried about Skylab falling on me. Yeah, it was a danger. Well, it was to, to, to address kind of what you were saying, Dingus, uh, a formative moment for me was a, a college class, uh, an old professor, because I, I definitely did believe, you, you know, that, that, that the world was, I mean, there was a lot of brinksmanship going on, and that kind of characterized the Cold War several times. Uh, and I remember being in a, a political science class at, at, uh, at the college I was at, and the professor saying, and this was hugely formative to me, Basically saying, I know it's scary, but there are people in the government far smarter than you or I whose job it is to make sure this never happens. And I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, you know, he's kind of right. And I actually believe that. I found that very comforting probably until March 20th of 2003, (laughs) which is when we rolled into Iraq, which I never thought would happen. And I kind of realized, oh, wait a minute, the government is kind of an idiot sometimes, and they do – Reckless things. What? That's how long it took you to get to there. Uh, that that was uh, pretty much. I mean, that was where I was basically disabused of this idea that smart people kept the government from doing excessively dumb things. Yeah. I mean, I think if we'd had a neoconservative administration, basically someone that reckless during the Cold War, 
the, the potential been, for us yeah. to get fucked over was a lot greater. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't, I don't want to get too political, but the point is I, I did like that part of the movie that sort of evoking the, the, the fear of the Cold War, uh, you know, this movie about brinksmanship. Uh, I, I, I liked that part of it. Um, I guess I liked the – like it was sort of a, a, a nod to it being a period piece, but I didn't feel really like – I don't know. I didn't feel like his family was unique in any way. Like they just seem like the person. It felt very much yeah. like Spielberg has this very standard like uh, yeah. family chaos scene, and it, yeah. there's a great one in Jaws. There's a great one in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. and he's kind of doing it again with the bit where Dougie shows up and says, "Yeah, we are taking the case." And I was like, "Wah wah wah!" You know, the family yeah. finds out. I mean, it did kind of seem like he was—he's just trying to recapture that. Hey, family chaos, and you know. So are we to understand that Doug was dating his daughter. Oh, I didn't catch that. I didn't even catch his name, by the way, until at some point Tom Hanks says something about Dougie, and I was like, who's Dougie? And then later, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, well, then he he, he cock-blocks the guy. It's Tuesday night. I have a dinner date. You can't have that dinner date. Cancel it. You have to work tonight. The next scene is Tom Hanks at the table, and his daughter says, I got stood up. And then Doug shows up with Oh, right, right. It's just ecstatic. Yeah, yeah. I got that. And she kind of looks sheepish. Nothing ever happens with that, but are we telling yeah, that Doug of is dating his daughter? Yeah, I guess it went fine, since that's the last thing we see is he shows up for dinner. Can't but he, like he, when he when uh, he first makes Dougie work, he snick he snickers to himself like, "Ah, you're not gonna fuck my daughter tonight." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I forgot that little smirk. Yeah. So does that mean he disapproves of it, or uh, they'll still they'll they'll be fine? I'm just messing with them, or like I didn't know. What that all meant. That to me was such a Tom Hanks thing. It was basically Tom Hanks in a, in a microcosm. Is that one little moment where the, the guy's like, I have a dinner date, and he scowls at him and says, No, you don't, and he's super harsh, and then he just breaks into this avuncular grin. Uh, I mean, it's just so Tom Hanks. Says, you know what? He can't be mean. He's going to end up being a nice guy. You're sort of painting into something creepy. But I thought it was like very avuncular, that smile. Like after telling Wait, you, you're saying he liked. It gets creepy later when she's been stood up and he's had to break a dinner date. Yeah, he's ruined his daughter's life. Well, I didn't even catch that, so you guys, thanks for making it creepy for me. But I, I did like the high five his wife, uh, Tom Hanks' wife, gave him after the prayer, though. That was awesome. Oh, right, 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 right. She wouldn't hold his hand. That was cute. Yeah. Uh, I did like, and this might be crass, uh, Amy Ryan in that sweater. I don't know what was going on Good Lord. with no. that like 50s physique kind of thing. I don't know if that's just like... The way undergarments work, or yeah, but that whole last scene when I was kind of bored with the movie, that's pretty much what captured my attention. Their bras were made out of steel, weren't they? In the fifties, women had to wear steel bras. Maybe and they were. I think they were made out of cement, actually. I think could take a bullet. Yeah. What about uh, the bras? All right, let's talk about Mark Rylance. Uh, I uh, so Dingus. Uh, Would it help? And you, Kelly Wan, I guess haven't, haven't seen Wolf Hall. Am I right? I'm the only one I here. Saw both. You saw. Yeah. Bone Tomahawk is he in that movie? Uh, you saw him as the villain in The Gunman, that sh- that Sean Penn Ugh. action thing. Yeah, I don't remember that movie. Remember that? Yeah, that movie made Black Hat look like Sicario. I fortunately did not see Black Hat. You guys, I I was happy to hear you. It's kind of funny. It's just too long. Yeah, it's funny though. Uh, but I I loved watching Mark Rylance. I mean, I, I it, it was kind of odd to me that. And I get, you know what? Here's the thing is, I wasn't sure this was a true story until we're introduced to Francis Gary Powers. And I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, 
And so I didn't know this was like, because I also, if there was a title card, I missed it. I came in as these guys were following Mark Rylance on a subway. Uh, so I, if there was a, based on a true story, I missed that. And it was. It, it, okay, well, yeah, it wasn't then until someone says Francis Gary Powers, and I was like, wait a minute, that's a real person. Uh, the, the actual card is inspired by true events. Okay. Well, I would have oh. been, I would have copped to that much sooner then. Yeah. So uh, instead of false events, it was inspired by true events. But yeah. it made me wonder, like, it, they, they clearly weren't, I, I guess clearly, like, they weren't playing the early part of a movie as a did he do it or did he not do it. Like, we see. Yeah. Yeah, he's obviously receiving some secret message. Uh, you know, are we supposed to, is there going to be more to it? Is he actually a double agent? Uh, like, I didn't realize, and I never, I didn't realize it was about how we got Francis Gary Powers out of Russia. I didn't know that's what, what was uh, being moved towards. Um, so it was kind of odd to me that there didn't seem to be any question about whether or not he was a spy, but it did seem like the movie was hiding something about him, and I thought we were going to find out more about why he was so unflappable about being right. possibly given the death penalty. Right. Uh, he's a spy. Well, we never. I mean, I guess so. He just doesn't. He's not afraid of death. I mean, he's a Russian spy. What are they gonna? They or, well, whether his family's real or fake or what the yeah. fuck? So I, I, and I, uh, I love what Mark Rylance is doing. I love watching that guy, but I don't. I kind of feel like they're. Well, I, I and then he says, know more about him, who he was, and what what, yeah. what was going on with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he tells Hanks, "Yeah, if, if I get in the back seat, I'm roasted." And oh my god! No back. kidding. And then we get a title card about, "Oh, we're kidding." Yeah, he's that's so... <laughs> it was amazing because that's the thing. Is that last shot? It's I thought, oh, it's Tom Hanks realizing he sent a man to his death. Yeah, right. I was like, wow, that's awesome. And yeah, you no, know, nope, Spielberg's gonna pull back from that. So. And maybe kind of like the movie a little bit. Like, wow, right, that's right. Uh, he. And maybe he knew it, and he right. was like, I got to do it anyway. Uh, you know, and it's like it's stay in prison versus like this is this was my like he has like a a pragmatic side like well, Tom Hanks character is more complex than we But you never get a sense from from Abel that he wants to go home or that he wants anything. I don't understand yeah, exactly. what in the world he wants. I mean I like what Mike Rylance is doing but and I love that spycraft stuff at the beginning but I never get a sense of, the, of what the dude wants at all. He's supposed to get through his family. But. And it even played with this idea too which would have been a cool way to leave Tom Hanks's character is did he trade an honorable man for a coward? Right, like, like the movie seemed to be flirting right. with that possibility. Right, right, right. right. And uh, yeah, so I, then, no, but of nope. course they can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's some bravery in the movie from that point of view. Is that um, Spielberg kind of paints us as a bunch of idiots, uh, yeah. and paints Powers as a coward, uh, and paints the other side as being more steadfast, um, and the one man who's standing against. Everything that we would even do now, as far as trading, you know, security for um, uh, what's the what's the Ben Franklin quote? Well, it's, it's a canard. I mean, it's misquoted, but it's basically yeah. anyone who would trade a little freedom for a little security deserves neither. It's some crap like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, but it, it does seem to be Spielberg sort of stacking against against us, which uh, I, I think is brave, but also kind of a liberal trope, maybe. Um, but I, I just wish I would have had more of Mark Rylance's character. I wish I would have known more about Abel. He's so good at, yeah. at, at radiating this. Um, and this is what Wolf Hall is all about, by the way. And Wolf Hall, I think it's like six, 30 minutes. Maybe they're hour long. But it's, it's basically the, the it's like watching a longer movie. It's amazing stuff. But he radiates for me this super incisive, keen intelligence, even when he's trying to look simple. Uh, 
Right, it's, right. It's amazing watching that. And, and, and Wolf Hall, like, he uses that to navigate politics. It's just, it's great stuff. So I loved watching him. Uh, I loved watching him, too. I, I loved watching him wait for everybody else in the scene to catch up with what he was, like, thinking anyway. Yeah. And that's why one of the things I can't stand about what Spielberg is doing is that early thing where where um, Abel is painting, and he does this, re- <laughs> this silly, I'm going to have him painting a portrait of himself looking askance at himself. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, we'll, we'll get the stuff. Will you just let us get it, please? Will you just let us get it? That opening's so good, I thought, and it was like he seemed like such a, a sort of buttoned-down character, and I was sort of excited when the movie started. Like, oh, Spielberg is going to make a movie – about this kind of a character, which seems to fly, like go against his strengths. Like it's not going to be some schmaltzy yeah. bullshit. Right, right. But has he ever done that? And and this is one of my questions: is has he ever done something? Uh, you know, I was thinking about like a conversation. <laughs> not just the conversation, but let's say anything that Steven Soderbergh has done later in his career that was daring. Has Has Spielberg done anything like that? I mean, Lincoln was sort of daring, but I, not I, really. I, I feel War of the Worlds has a nice amount of bite. I mean, it, it does kind of pull back at the end, but if you just ignore the last literally five minutes. Yeah, and Tom Cruise isn't supposed to be lovable. In that. well, that's a blockbuster, kind of a- nonetheless. I mean, that's a tentpole movie. Yeah, so that's makes it Yeah, but it's super R-rated. Like, it's uh, it, actually, is it even R-rated? No, it's not. No, it just feels like, it's like it. Yeah, it feels like it. Like watching the guy get speared, I guess you know, you don't see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's off screen. And this idea, too, that Tim Robbins is like a child molester. Who's, I mean, there's right. creepy stuff. There's a lot of darkness in it. Okay, yeah. I, uh, that's fair enough. Yeah. For, I mean, and Tom Cruise's character is a really weird choice for that kind of a movie. Like, it makes it better. And Dingus, yeah. I'm sure you know, War Horse. You know, tremendous movie, right, Dingus? Good Lord. Did he direct that? Or, Wait, didn't he? Dingus is the one here who saw it. Well, of course he did, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's from a play, I believe. I'm not yeah, it's from a play, and the play is much more interesting than the movie. Schindler's List isn't like that, though, is it? I've, I've only seen it the once. It seems like one of those movies you only see it once, like yeah. in 1993. Right. But like, I mean, this has some Schindler's List in it. I mean, that whole every person matters thing. I mean, that's what Tom Hanks is doing. In yeah, this. but in that, it is what the movie's about. And in this, I didn't. I I just don't understand why the story was told. <laughs> I would so rather have seen a movie about the Mark Rylance character, or just spies. Like it's not a spy movie. He's trying no, to negotiate a thing that's already going through anyway. Like it's not. It's a really disappointing arc. I thought dramatically. Uh, it, it surprised me when he's called into Alan Alda's office. Uh, and he's basically said, we're, we're putting you on this case. Uh, and when they point out that he was at the Nuremberg trials, that he somehow yeah, was yeah. there, I remember thinking, well, that seems to make him very qualified for this. Yeah, yeah. I'm mind this idea yeah. that he's like an insurance guy who's called in and suddenly – and so I looked it up. He was actually a general counsel for the OSS, which is the predecessor to the CIA. Well, this guy was – was totally involved in the intelligence community. Oh, what? Burying the lead, everybody. Come yeah, on. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. hilarious that they paint this idea of, oh, he's just an everyman insurance salesman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the CIA entrusted with this, well, which would have made no fucking sense. Well, I think that's another one of those things that Spielberg does where he doesn't know the value of uh, making a decent callback, and he just makes them uh, just super syrupy callbacks because that whole – insurance scene is just to set up the idea of one plus one plus one that whole you know we're gonna have two for one instead of one and one and one and that that whole thing is just for a sad callback for one line later on in the movie see i don't 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go I kind of liked that, and I kind of wondered, hey, is this maybe something the Coen brothers did? Because I liked when we're introduced by the character, and there's this pattern that you don't quite understand about, uh, you know, it, it, we're not talking about my guy, we're talking about my client's guy, and it's not yeah. one thing, it's five things. Like that kind of yeah. seemed like something that would be in True Grit, for instance. It was kind of shop. It was cool shop talk. It, it was, was cool like shop ha- talk, and I feel like it kind of earned this idea of him insisting on making these two separate issues one issue. Uh, yeah. But you're right, Dingus. I mean, I do feel he's so heavy-handed about calling that back, but I kind of felt like as, a, as something in a script, that was a cool idea, and I liked that. Yeah, if it had sat there just as a way to introduce the character, that's fine, but then he has to actually call back the line later on, I just felt like it was a weak payoff, and I feel like Spielberg constantly has to do that. It, it just it feels like, yeah, we it, he just doesn't trust his audience at all. What are some touches that you guys liked? Because Spielberg's not a hack. I mean, he, he he can screw things up, but there were some things in here that I really liked. Anything stand out for you guys, but, like directorially? Uh, I like the I've, car chase. Was it a chase? I like the car. Car chase? What's he talking about, Dingus? Car chase? When the guy was speeding to mess with his head. Oh, 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 right, right, right. And the police I like pull the, him over, and he basically sends him off with the police, right? Okay. And I like that saturated film star kind of thing to evoke... It was an, like it was kind of like it looked like the seventies, but it was the early sixties. He kept know? doing this thing, which I ultimately didn't like. This I thought it was overdone, where you push the camera in, like you physically move the camera closer to a character for a dramatic moment, which I think was supposed to be an homage to movies from that time. I <laughs> did, did it during the standing man speech. I remember. Yeah, do you get so you know what I'm talking about? Where like the yeah. camera comes in and maybe it tilts up a little bit from underneath, but it's yeah. it's, it's clearly the, the camera physically moving in on, on someone. I wish he'd done the zoom dolly thing from Buzz <laughs> from Jaws, during right. the standing man speech. Which actually, by the way, I think that's a Hitchcock thing, isn't it, Kelly Wand? Like I, I, I used to, I think of it as the scene from Jaws, but I think I've been told that Hitchcock did that earlier. That, that was when it. did Hitchcock do it? No one ever invokes it. Do they? Um. I don't know. High, not high anxiety. Uh, what's that? Vertigo? Maybe? He did that? The famous Zoom dot I'm, I'm no uh, Hitchcock uh, aficionado. I couldn't tell you. Here's something I liked. I liked uh, a lot the scene of four guys standing around. One of them picks up the phone and doesn't say anything. Like, I like the tension of that. <laughs> yeah, that I like good. the way that it was nonverbal. I like the way that it was shot with the four guys standing there. Uh, like that was a good scene. That was a solid bit, and it's it's also an example of a good callback, in my opinion. Oh, what was the callback? Because at the very beginning, um, Abel picks up the phone in his apartment and says nothing. He just he listens to it ring. He goes and he picks it up. He listens for a while. Yeah. Leaves the apartment. Oh man, that's the part I missed. Dad, I'm gonna have to see this again because I haven't seen the movie now. Obviously, because I came in late and missed that. Well, the, he, this close. whole opening segment where he's painting the self-portrait, the phone in his apartment starts ringing. He looks over at it and he waits and he keeps painting. Then he goes and he picks up the phone. He says nothing, and then he goes out. Um, after he he just listens. He doesn't say a thing. And that sequence that you're talking about, Tom, really is a good callback to that moment. Oh man! All right, I got to go back and see this. I also loved. I, I really did love, and, and I know it's kind of schmaltzy, but I loved that moment before the Supreme Court. I really liked Tom Hanks's whole speech, the whole thing he was talking about as far as arguing and why he was doing it at great personal risk and, and why he believed in doing it and the, and the argument that he was making. I liked that very much. Uh, 
I thought the uh, the theatrics of the fake East German family. I thought that was, that was a very Coen Brothers thing, like yeah. a very raising Arizona almost. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, wait, that's for real. Question: Is there a mistake with the overcoat in the Vogel scene? With the overcoat in the Vogel scene, Kelly Wan, can you field this question? Because I'm not sure what Dingus is asking. You mean he's wearing it after it got stolen? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. Um, that would be funny because it's right after that. So it yeah. Seems so odd. he gets his overcoat stolen. Right. He, uh, the KGB guy says, "Where's your overcoat?" He says, "Well, I'm just taking it from me." Oh, because it was from Saxon Avenue. What did you expect to happen? And then the next scene, he's gone to Vogel's office and he's wearing the overcoat again. Is it after he's asked the CIA or the uh, the, the the? Oh yeah, they are CIA. Is it after he's asked the CIA guys to give him a coat, a new coat? No. Because the, the coat they provide for him is this ridiculous-looking coat with, like, fur or fuzzy stuff on the lapels. I mean, it's a totally different coat that they provide him for. It's, it's a comical-looking coat. Wow, Dingus, you might have, uh, you might have found a continuity error. Um, I, know the, I know the baby he's holding is a doll in that scene. <laughs> uh, so my uh, over was Lincoln because I felt like it was more focused. It was a... Uh, even though it did have its, its moments of reverence, I liked how it was a legislative procedural, which I didn't expect. Uh, and it didn't have to f- tell all these different chapters of Lincoln's story. Like, uh, And it just felt like a good, tight, focused, performance-centric movie. So my over is Lincoln. My under, and this is going to sound weird, but my under is actually Saving Private Ryan because wow. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan basically – breaks a more precious thing like saving private ryan with all that awesome early bits about the brutality of war the fact that spielberg would fuck that up with this schmaltzy earn this stuff and the bookends and all that 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 just eh, greatest generation reverence stuff uh like all of that 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 early brutality is like such this deconstructive portrayal of world war ii and how gruesome and gory and r-rated it was this great war is hell thing that he then turns around and screws up with the, the rest of the movie. So this movie didn't do as much violence to, I thought, a pretty decent story as Saving Private Ryan. So Saving Private It didn't Private break Ryan. anything good. It didn't, exactly. It didn't break anything as good as Saving Private That's Ryan. That's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dingus, what, what is your, you mentioned your over before. What, what, is, what are they? What are your over and unders? They didn't mention either one yet, but both of them have the word game in the title. The over would be the movie Fair Game. Um, which I love. The Cindy Crawford one? Yes, the Cindy Crawford one, because it's a great biographical spy drama. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but I like the focus of Fair Game. It's actually directed by Doug Lyman. Um, and I like the focus of it. I don't think it's gonna be quite closely bracketed to Bridge of Spies, sadly, because I, I really don't care for the way Steven Spielberg is messing with us and how he cannot trust his audience. Also based uh, on a true story, by the way, fair game. Right, right. And a book. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it, it is like this biographical thing and it is very important, I think, in its focus for understanding, um, constitutional issues and, uh, security issues as relate to a time of fear. So uh, I really, really liked Fair Game, and I saw it only because uh, Tom suggested, hey, you really do need to see this movie. Uh, so I would put Fair Game above this, underneath this. I forgot, Dingus, uh, real quick. I forgot that was uh, Doug Lyman, director of Edge of Tomorrow. Exactly right. Huh. All right. He's directed a couple other spy movies, but I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> a couple? Didn't he just do the one? 
Maybe. I think he just did the first born identity, and then Paul Greengrass took over. First born identity. I guess if you if you think of Go as a spy movie, then fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And in Fair Game, the Cindy Crawford one, he's a cop, so that's kind of like a spy. So that, that's two. I wouldn't be able to tell you the first thing about Fair Game, but if I were to guess that anybody I know could tell me anything about the Cindy Crawford Fair Game, it would be Kelly Wand. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. That. She goes to vamp this dude oh at God, a computer kidding? store. Yeah, go on. And uh, he's all, are you interested in software or hardware? And he's all, she's all. Hardware. And then there's like nine jokes like that. Kelly Wan can do dialogue from Fair Game Dingus. Can you that is yeah. amazing. It's amazing. It's got the Baldwin, it's got the middle Baldwin in it. Daniels? No. He's Billy? the one whose name I forget. Adam William. Yeah. No, I think it's Billy. Billy Baldwin. You call him Billy? I thought it's William. Uh, well, Billy to me, we're buddies. We hang out. He plays, yeah. uh, he was oh. in my D&D group for a while. Yeah. They used to reenact flatlines together. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is your... Un- oh, like a twist Very good, Kelly Wand. Dialogue <laughs> from The Last Witch Hunter, yeah. The, uh, my under would be a movie called The Imitation Game. Um, hey, this is the same story <laughs> as Fair Game. You just did sure. two movies. Wait, isn't that the Valerie Plame thing? Yes. Imitation. Oh, no, no. Imitation Game is... Uh, it's the Alan Turing. Yeah, oh, geez, okay. I never saw that. I didn't so I either. See. No one uh, said see it. Everyone was well, like, everyone saw it and went, don't see it. Tell you what, Dingus is saying that it's under, that it's not as good even as Bridge of Spies. So he's killing my desire to see it. Well, I'm I'm bringing it up because of the ways, um, look, you know, as much as I've talked against uh, Bridge of Spies, I, I'm not, you know, I still got teary even when I thought the Amy Ryan thing was really weakened by the fact that she says to him, you know, just tell me something even if it's a lie. I mean, I hate kind of, yeah. I kind of hate all that stuff. No woman says that. In the, in, in 1957, 58, they probably did. Tell me one, welcome to the Eisenhower era. Yeah. Tell me a lie. But nevertheless, I, I kind of fell for that moment where Tom Hanks takes the poster out of the thing and looks at his, at the, at the portrait that has been... Which, by the way, looked awfully photorealistic. Did yeah. we establish that he was that kind of a painter? I mean, is that the kind of picture he was painting of himself early on? Yeah, that first pic- wow. that first self-portrait looks exactly like him looking at himself. It's- wow, okay. That painting's called Would It Help, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I felt for that moment, even though it's ridiculous when all the kids are on the couch and they're like, and Donovan, who's walking in his house right now and looking at his family yeah, and yeah. walking upstairs... Uh, helped them out. Davis, and, did you see real quick what was on the table in front of those kids? Yeah, uh, TV dinners. Yeah, with like the Salisbury steak, those classic Swanson TV dinners. I was like, oh, look, right. that's adorable. She made them all TV dinners for yeah. dinner. It was great. And, and they were watching TV, you know, TV dinner in front of a TV. Yeah. Right, and watching news. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting for them. <laughs> and she walks upstairs and sees her husband just collapsed on the bed and suddenly she understands this is why he's been lying to me about salmon fishing in the Yemen. Oh, okay, I love him. Um uh nevertheless I'm still crying about it. Uh and the same thing happened to me in Imitation Game. Uh even though I felt like I was totally being manipulated, I was still weeping at the end and then later on I realized, wait a minute, there's not much here. Um and they totally got a lot of the facts wrong and they missed they missed a lot of things that I wish they would have focused on. Uh, and I think the imitation game misses a lot of what um, what the interesting parts of Alan Turing are about. Uh, just as I feel like uh, 
uh, Bridge of Spies misses a lot of the interesting character points that it should have hit. Wasn't Alan Turing gay? Yeah, yeah, and that's oh. that's kind of the the thrust of the movie, if you'll excuse the term. I thought he had a girlfriend in the movie. Like, isn't Felicity? Uh, what's her name? She's in a Star Wars movie. Right? Felicity yeah. Knightley. Felicity she's not, Knightley. She's not his love interest. Yeah, Kara Knightley. Yeah, and they have to get married because of blah blah blah. Um, Wait, I'm sticking to the red maid one. Sorry, but in, yeah, in I mean, game. I didn't know he married a woman. I thought he was like, oh, I think he has to, or, or I mean, okay. I. Yeah, but he has to be with a woman because that's what had to be going on at that time. So yeah, the 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 fact of his homosexuality was a huge part of that, and that's what tugs at your heartstrings at the end, um, because because he was convicted of being a homosexual. He was imprisoned for that, or he was. Oh, really? Physicists have to be. It seems like a weird rule. <laughs> it does seem like a weird rule, but in in England at that time it was illegal, and he got he got incarcerated for that. Or he at least got convicted of doing that and marginalized and then died lonely and but but it it goes a little too far as far as the schmaltzy stuff is concerned, so that's why it's slightly underneath this because of the schmaltz level all right, Kelly, you did tell your over was Munich that's the one I was thinking of. you told us that you like Munich more than bridge of spies what what's a movie that you like less than bridge of spies uh hey, you know what I call t v dinners uh dinners. Probably liked Munich more, Tom. I liked Munich more, and my under was. Uh, did you ever see? I, this was going to be my IMDb, but I the opsis for it was too uh, Spartan. But uh, it, did you ever see Shining Through with Michael Douglas and Melanie Griffith? Oh my God! Wow, I don't even know what that is. Oh wow, she's like a Jewish typist or something. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, and he's a spy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember he's that. Too lazy to learn German. Uh, he tells the German, he tells the Nazis that he has a sore throat or something, or a throat infection, which seems like less hassle than just getting a fucking bilingual spy to do it. And then uh, it's one of those movies where she gets shot or something, and he has to carry her. It's one of those movies where Milligan gets shot, you know, and so he has to carry her like across a bridge or something. Like once he gets across a finish line, they can't shoot him. It's one of those kind of movies because it's East right. Berlin, right. East Berlin. Like, ah, bullets can't go past the line. You, you win. So it's like he's like staggering through the snow, carrying Melanie Griffith to like get her to the line before they shoot him. You mentioned so Michael, Michael Douglas being unable to do German. I can't help but think of Brad Pitt's Italian in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be bad. I know. I just love that moment of, of a spy who can't quite do the accent he's supposed to do. That is wonderful, actually. Um, Tom, so in in Bridge of Spies, yeah, uh-huh, Kelly Wand, is the bra the only steel Amy Ryan's wearing? One, two, three, I mean, it can't have just been me. I mean, that maybe it's not just because I was bored at that last scene. It was like super noticeable, right? Like her figure in that sweater. Yeah, it was so egregious. Yeah, right? Hawk clothes back then. That was what's so weird about it. Like the most repressive eras have the hottest wardrobes. Like half. Like imagine, yeah. Like imagine her in a skirt too. Like a yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And they were always such a milk toast character. I can't even see them. I mean, honestly, it's a milk toast. 
Milf toast, nice. I like that. Not rolling. I liked it when she goes, it's over. When she hung up, like, scream. That was her moment. I mean, that's the only moment to say, hey, okay, we're going to let you act in this this moment, Amy Ryan. Yeah, the rest of the time, you're just a supportive wife, but you'll get one acting moment. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Well, All right, Dingus, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? What do you got for us? I don't know. Let's, oh, no, let's Kelly Wan, sorry. About it. Yeah, let's go to Kelly Wan. What is this week's 3x3? Three three and why I'm, is it I'm not taking, I'm not taking credit for this thing. Mm, this week's 3x3 three three is movie titles that don't make sense. <laughs> A lot of listener submissions. They It spoke, it resonated with the, uh, it spoke the mob. Them. Hopefully yeah. they sent the same ones in that they sent in for when we did this one before, which was great movie, shame about the name. So I've just reiterated the things I did from that last 3 by 3 That's a little different, though. Nope. They were movies that – well, the thing is it had to be a good movie but with a title that made no sense. So you're right. This could be mm. bad movies with titles that make no sense. But I, I have no, I have very little desire to talk about bad movies. So Yeah, me uh, too. I've just picked the same three from – Well, you don't have to – they don't have to be bad movies. They can just be movies you love. Then, then you have the point done. is that they shouldn't be. That, that, uh, that we can think of a thousand bad movies with stupid names, but what's the point? Right. So the thing Wait, we, we, did this, we did this topic before, where we did like goofy names that made no sense from movies. So I'm I'm just I, my number three is Reservoir Dogs, which I still I don't when even when we talked about it, I just don't right. understand why Reservoir Dogs is called Reservoir Dogs. Okay, so you went that direction. I still think it's a nonsense name. I still believe that I don't understand why Reservoir Dogs is called Reservoir Dogs. Right. And uh, I'll, I'll say it again because it's my number one. Um, the reason it's called that is because when... Like mean dogs at a reservoir. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's just um, Quentin Tarantino being cheeky. Uh, he was working at a place called Video Archives, and uh, he would recommend uh, interesting and weird movie titles to people. And one of the weird titles he recommended to pe- to somebody who was looking for a movie to watch was Au revoir les enfants. And uh, and the you know the urban legend is that the customer said Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I don't yeah. see something like that. So, uh, so so it's either that story or it's uh, Quentin Tarantino having. Suggested au revoir les enfants to other people and just deciding, well, you know, that kind of sounds like Reservoir Dogs, so I'm just going to name my first movie that. Yeah, and how does a first time filmmaker get that through? Like, would this have been Miramax back then? Uh, it wasn't at the time, because, you know, when he was first going to make it, it was just going to be with some of his friends for like 30,000 bucks. And then Harvey Keitel somehow got a hold of it, um, I guess through Lawrence Bender, and then they suddenly jumped up to like one point whatever million dollars, and then this movie started to sing. And I think that just based on his, I don't know, force of personality, he was like, this is the name of this movie. It's Reservoir Dogs. Look at this. Yeah, I would have been, if I had any money in this movie, I would have been like, no no way, kid. We're not not releasing a movie that has a nonsense name. We're going to call this movie Five Tough Guys. Right, yeah. They just didn't ask him because they assumed it made sense. Like, oh, yeah, so they're in a reservoir. I guess it was just a very different time back then when you just let guys make movies and call them whatever you want without even focus grouping it. But I remember watching it and wondering, are they going to end up in a reservoir? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, by the end of the movie, I was overwhelmed by how great it was. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it. I was in New York at the time uh, and in this little theater and just being knocked out by it. So by the end of the movie, I didn't care what it was called. But going into it, 
if if you don't get somebody to drag you into that movie, why are you going to see something called Reservoir Dogs? That's a, that tricks you. I think that's what happened, and I know people who like we're going to go see it with friends. They're like Reservoir Dogs, fuck that shit. So like the one guy went, and he went, oh my god, this is the best movie ever. You guys are all idiots, right? So it's like he kind of pwned the friends with the title deliberately. Dingus, what's your third instance of a, a movie that has a nonsense name? All right. Uh, I think uh, even though I tr- it turns out that I like the movie um, accidentally, uh, I have I think Human Centipede is a – it just makes no sense. What? Uh, well, yeah. He, he's, he's right. What do you mean he's right? Because it's not a – it's not a um, – it doesn't have a leg it. I mean, yeah, it looks – no, you guys are crazy. But Senna is a number. It's a it's, a, it's, it's a gross it's a gross creepy thing with a lot of legs with a lot of limbs uh, and how many how many clearly well human millipede would make it even less accurate yeah so <laughs> you just call it it has six legs like an insect so no, I think one of the one of the yeah one of the few clever things that Tom Six which is the, the guy's name was Tom Six by the way was able to do with these movies which get increasingly wretched is give them a, an effective title well I I I, I totally agree with you I think it's inc- incredibly effective but it doesn't make any sense the the title of this topic is does it make any sense i think it's a great title all three of my movies i think reservoir dogs my number two and human centipede is a great title as far as sparking like curiosity and what the fuck is that but it doesn't make any sense i'm pretty sure if you google to the poster for human centipede it's a silhouette behind like frosted glass that clearly looks like a centipede of the people sure. sewn together so. Sure, but the but the title doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's a nonsensical title. I mean, well, nonsensical is a different thing. Actually. Also, centipedes aren't like a bunch of creatures that are joined together in that fashion. How we want it to metaphor. It is, and, and uh, I would agree. I think it's, I think it's a I think it's a great <laughs> title, but I think it doesn't make any sense. Tom, does it make sense to you? It does. Yes. But that's what? not the, that's not the three by three. It doesn't. If it doesn't make sense to Dingus, he can pick it. It makes sense no, no, to me. I'm just talking. Yeah, yeah. I'm just it's, asking out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. Yep, because it, it looks. It's a creepy thing with, like I said, a creepy thing with a lot of appendages. It's a centipede. What if you made one of those out of humans? There you so go. Like I said, called human octopus, and it would have just made as much sense to you. An octopus doesn't. It radiates the arms radiate from a central location. A centipede is like it's a, a creepy thing with a lot of appendages. That was, a, but in a long snake-like shape, like from from one end to another, and that's the point of human centipede is the people are linked from one end to another, a single digestive system. This is gross. I don't want to sit here and talk about human centipede, but yeah, the title totally makes sense to me. I mean, I get it. Should it. have been called. Three-person digestive system. But then what are you going to do with the sequels? <laughs> See, Three-person digestive Wait. system 2 would not make sense in the sequel. Well, but actually, I, I didn't even say the whole title. It's the first sequence. Right. I was going to ask you if that part made sense to you. Uh, I guess if he knew he was going to Wait, it wasn't more the first movies. sequence because the first sequence was the dogs he did it to. No, right. Good no, point. no, no. It's the the it's title the of the first movie Second. is the first sequence, though. Well, maybe right. So it was the movie named after the dogs. That was his <laughs> experiment. The, didn't he call them like his his Liebschuns or something? Yeah, yeah. Peter Later Laser had some weird term for them. Yeah. And I wish he, I kind of wish he would have called it like the first segment or something like that because there is a thing as far as centipedes are concerned is is that they have two legs per segment. Um, which makes a little bit of sense here. But centipedes also have, uh, just because I did a little bit of research on this, they also have an odd number of legs. <laughs> so there can never be a 100-leg centipede because they, they have 
an odd number of legs. And if you consider arms and legs the same thing in this creature that he's constructed, I mean, I, I totally agree with Tom. I think it's an effective name. I just disagree with Tom that I don't think it makes any sense. By the way, I looked up, I did a little research on reservoir dogs. They're dogs that actually chew off people's ears. Funnily enough, that's, that's, oh, part, see, that's so one of their sense. traits. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, right. Good, but they, they have secreted uh, little razor blades in their gums in order to help them do that. I don't understand this is reference. Did Michael Madsen have the razor blade in his gums? No, but he had a razor blade. Never mind. Moving on. What, what's your number three, Kelly? Wait. He had a razor blade in... He's used a straight razor. He's... Never mind. Moving on. Figgis is trying to uh, abort this reference, Kelly Wand. Let's help no, him. I'm not. It's just if you're not going to buy in, let's just move on. If you're going to know and me, let's go. Go ahead, Kelly. Yeah, I didn't understand it, so. <sighs> I want to, but maybe maybe we're dumb because the last time he did this, we wound up going, "Oh wait, it's a good, it's a good joke." No, it's not a good joke. Moving on. My number three is Clash of the Titans because the Titans aren't in it. It's the uh... oh. The gods. Oh, good point. Yeah. I, was, I was about to make. I was about to. I, I gave you an exasperated sigh before I even <laughs> heard you out. <laughs> exasperated sigh for. I was like, well, they are totally clashing. But you're right. They're not titans. They're gods. They're distinct parts of the mythology. Fair point. Yeah. I don't even think the, the titans gods? appear in. Yeah, they're not named even. Yeah, fair point. But they, the gods are basically titanic. Like they're large, maybe so, larger than life. I don't know. That's a good. But do they clash too? The yeah, gods sure. I mean, that's the whole point of, of isn't that it's a large point of Greek mythology? Is that the gods like disagree and they fight with each other and they squabble and it kind of plays out in the human arena, right? What to me is annoying is like they fought the Titans, I thought, or Zeus did. So the title implies the exciting part that's not actually like a clash with the Titans. Right, right, but that that it, right. The title implies that the Titans are fighting each other, not that the gods are fighting Titans, right? You know, you sound awfully into this topic for someone who. <laughs> 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 Ian Diggis is picked. See now, don't you wish she'd put a little more thought into yours? I put a lot of thought into mine. It's just I did it a couple of years ago when we had the topic. Uh, Diggis, my number Dingus. two title that makes yeah. no sense is a Blade Runner. Which, what, yeah, why would one. you call? Yeah, I mean, you can't go with the Philip K. Dick story. That makes even less sense, given the movie that Ridley Scott made. But calling it Blade Runner, I'm like, what? But it's another, it's another, it's like what Dingus was saying, where it's a really good title. Sure, sure, yeah. But, well, that has right. nothing to do with anything. Right. But whether or not it makes sense is not, I mean, whether or not it's a good no, title. No, I know. It's yeah. just like, that's and the irony. about like... this today, too, Tom, uh, about Blade Runner. And I can't remember, is that... Are they called that in the Philip K. Dick story? Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Not at all. I mean, there's a title card oh. on the movie that says that, that explains. Uh, you know, some people are good at finding replicants. We call them Blade Runners. Yeah, but why? I Blade that, I, you know, when I was looking through my movie collection earlier, because I I really did want to choose movies I like, because I'd forgotten uh, that you know that great movie shame about the name was something that Tom had chosen. Um, I'd forgotten too. I was, but I would. I should have said Blade titles that are good. Why is it called Blade Runner again? Is it part of the short story? Yeah. I'm, all, no? I'm, I'm right, right, Kelly Wan? So. Like, yeah, do Android Stream of Electricity. It's a novel. And, and it has all this, like, weird stuff about, like, isn't there this, like, Christ-like figure named Mercer or something? Yeah. Like, there's all these religious themes in the short story that, I, yeah. Are, are there even replicants in the short story? The short story yeah. was pretty much just jettisoned, right? Uh, it's a novel, first off. Oh, uh, short novel. It's a novella. Yeah. 
No, it's a novel. No, it's long. A novella. Do androids dream of electric sheep as a novella? Is that what you're telling me? That's what I'm telling you. See, the thing is, I call it a short story because I had it in a collection of other stories, so I think of it as a short story, but I'll call so it a novel or a novella. A okay. I'm reading one by him right now called The Crack in Space, which is kind of good. That's not but a nonsense title. I like that. Is this a sequel to Clash of the Titans? They find parallel universes. Um, oh, and, ha- and Obama's in it. Spoiler alert. Okay, wait, what was the question? I was making a joke about crack. Blade Runner. But moving on. Kelly Wan, he, he say you're Blade Runner. Is that racist? I think it's, I do that? it's yeah. a line from the movie, so it's not racist. That's what the guy says. Two, two, four. Lines from Blade Runner. That's me, doing lines from Blade Runner. <laughs> Kelly Wan, or Dingus, what is your number two? We know your number one is Reservoir Dogs. We know your number three is Human Centipede, calling the first sequence. What is your number two <laughs> shame about the name because it doesn't make any sense pick? Uh, number two is a movie called Schizopolis. Ew. What do you mean ooh? Why are you saying ooh? Because I don't like Schizopolis. You don't? I do. Oh, I Careful love that movie should. so much. Wait, why don't you like it, Tom? Uh, there's a bit where Soderbergh is like doing something funny in a mirror. That's all I remember about it. And I remember the rest of it thinking, what? Whatever. You didn't right? like the fake language? Some, oh, God, that's right. No, I did not. No. Do Androids Dream uh, of Electric Sheep science fiction novel by Philip K. Dick? Jesus. What's wrong with you people? Oh, did you just now look that up, Kelly Wan? Yes. <laughs> you're back there, are you? <laughs> well, you were double-teaming me, and I knew you were dumb. So. Kelly Wan, we moved on to Schizopolis. Just, mm-hmm. just so you All know. Right. Schizopolis is also a novel. <laughs> it's a novella, Kelly Wan. Duh. Uh, uh, one of the things I love, loved when I was thinking about what doesn't make sense and whether something is nonsensical and that means something else, um, the the second definition I found of nonsensical is that it's ridiculously impractical or ill-advised, which I think are um, mostly true of the three choices I chose. And uh, Schizopolis I love, but I, I have no idea what in the world that is supposed to mean that makes no sense to me. And neither really does the movie, but nevertheless, I remember watching it and just being so totally taken by Schizopolis and and loving the weird uh, ways that it didn't make sense and the ways that it was also nonsensical because it makes up language. Um, it, it just uses language in weird ways. Uh, it just has people just talking in ridiculous, like, uh, foot-long veggie on wheat. Thank you. I mean, it, it hasn't things that don't make any sense as far as the uh as far as the dialogue is concerned so that the idea that the title doesn't make sense it doesn't really matter it's a perfect title for the movie but i have no idea what that title means Schizopolis, a a, a, a city that it's has city, two personalities yeah. who knows um i mean there is sort of this idea of of student soderbergh playing two different characters but he's the same dude playing them and he doesn't know that um so there is sort of a schizoid idea of it, but the actual title, you can just wonder about Steven's, Steven Soderbergh lying in bed at night and going, I, I'm going to call it Schizopolis. It doesn't make any sense, but I love the title. All right, Kelly Wand, your number two great movie, Shame About the Name pick, the 2015 edition. My number two... I need to see Bubble, huh? That's why I haven't seen it. Oh, also doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, and Bubble was was a runner-up of mine, and I had to choose one of 
Soderbergh's things, but Bubble Bubble makes absolutely no sense. Well, you know what? I could make a case for Bubble. Okay. Like like a like a sort of a, a frail framework. Uh, like I don't want to give too much away, but the main character's sort of a frail connection to reality and what's really happened. Like this right. idea of a very thin membrane surrounding someone. Uh, and when that membrane sort of pops, uh, when this woman has done this thing, it's right. a, it's a reach, but you know it it makes more sense than Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, it certainly does, and I think it it also it also kind of is this weird, almost meta comment on the director's maybe the director's vision of his career. You know, it's that I'm gonna keep trying to do these types of movies and this is why I referenced him when we were talking about Bridge of Spies because you know at any point this this thing could pop and I won't get to make anything else but I'm going to I'm still going to try to make a movie like this and I don't think Steven Spielberg has ever done anything like Bubble or Schizopolis um and 1941 kind of was and so I think that Bubble does have that sort of double meaning of of what you're talking about within Bubble. the within the version of the story and also maybe the director kind of existing in a career where can I keep doing this? You know, how do you feel about the title for girlfriend experiment? Meh. I haven't even seen it, but I can imagine in oceans 13 is, does Clooney have two other sidekicks that he didn't have way to spoil my number one pick Kelly wand. <laughs> my number one pick is actually running scared because Paul Walker in this movie isn't. Wait, I didn't scared. get my number two. Yeah, what's Kelly's number two? It was Bubble. Right? No. Kelly, oh, no. Kelly, we're signing you Bubble for your number two pick. Be, be thankful. All right, what's your number two instead of Bubble? What's the, what's a worse case? Worse than Bubble, Kelly Wand? What do you got? This to me is actually way worse. Right. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness? How do you even say that? Is that all one sentence? Or uh, I just... made jokes about this when we did the Star Trek Into Darkness podcast. So yeah. Well, I know, but now it's a topic, so we have to just talk about it again. All right. Okay, that's my number two. Go. My number one is running scared. Uh, because running Paul scared. Walker is not scared. Well, he might be scared. I guess he is running. Uh, he's not that scared. Uh, but he's running towards something. He's, he's not running away from anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes no sense. Uh, yeah. Does it right. make sense in the Billy Crystal one? Yes. Are they running scared? Mm-hmm. And Gregory Hines, especially Gregory Hines, is scared. Because they do quit the police force, don't they? They're like, meh. They're cops? Oh, good lord. Yeah. Yeah, and they go to Miami. Marked police car uh, graffitied. You, you have to run scared. Hmm. <laughs> I'm so confused. I think it's what's your number one. Oh, no, your number one oh, is Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. So, Kelly Wan, that leaves you. What's the What title is uh, makes the least sense of all movie titles for you? The one for me that makes no sense is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because, um, shouldn't it just be called Nazis? Because he's not going to raid it. So they're the Raiders. So the Raiders are just the Nazis. Or is it talking about him and Belloc? And they're the Raiders. In which case, the first Daniel Jones movie is named after Belloc. Huh. The listeners wrote in. It's crazy. Star Wars also seemed like a weird one, but we already exhausted that. Uh, Roy Jones writes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, this one always bugged me, too. 
I'm with Roy Jones. Since Don describes this terrestrial phenomenon, a planet cannot dawn in any literal sense by definition, yet the planet is the object of the sentence and therefore explicitly in the one dawning. You know what, too, Roy Jones? The second one also does the same stupid thing because the planet doesn't rise either, so they're keeping it going. The dumbness. Clearly, the mention was to allude to the dawn of April, in which case dawn of the apes would have been the more descriptive and elegant choice by making the apes the object and omitting the repetition of of the. Alternatively, we're expected to take dawn as a generic term for sequel. Thanks, Romero. <laughs> Ape planet. Continuity, dawn doesn't follow night, but rather rise. I know. You can't tell. No one can tell me offhand which one is first of the two movie titles. Dawn or Rise. Um, what's more, both Rise and Dawn tread exactly the same ground as metaphors, which is basically monkeys are on the up. So there's no sense of sequence. I understand the Planet of the Apes had to be in there somewhere, but it'd have to be so clunky. All the best, Roy. I'm so with Roy Jones on this. You guys don't care, but he's making some good points. Isn't the third one, too, something like the continuing ascent of the Planet of the Apes. You'll have to ask Matt Reeves. Isn't he directing the next one? Ugh. Did you see Paranormal? <clears throat> Paranormal Activity, colon, the ghost dimension? Yeah, even though they're not ghosts, they're demons, I thought, but whatever. Uh, someone spoiled it for me so much so that after seeing um, Bridge of Spies, <laughs> I went in and saw the last half of it. Not the last half, even. Maybe probably the last half. I don't know how much. but You uh, need to get glasses for it, though. I didn't see it in 3D. You went to see the uh, last half of that after Bridge of Spies? I walked in to see the That's last weird. part of it because it does this crazy like CG stuff with like monsters chasing them and these like darkness tentacles. And um, yeah, and I just had to say, and it is. It's crazy. It gets like, it's off the chain, Kelly Wand. But you like that? It's, it's terrible. No, good Lord, no. So they instead – I read somewhere that like – because they said, okay, it's going to answer everything. I remember reading that, that they promised that. I mean maybe it does earlier in the movie. Off. I just saw the end, but I didn't know what was going on at the end. I couldn't tell. It's it, a, a naked guy comes up and kills a lady, and that, if that answers anything, whatever. <laughs> I do love that as a double feature or a one-and-a-half feature. What? A, nec- what, a naked you go, You're going to see that oh, after oh, Spies. Right. It's just pleasing to me that you did that. I have just that enough is... fuel left in the tank for uh, about 45 minutes of this. <laughs> oh, a naked guy. <laughs> well, you guys, I don't know if you guys remember. Like, they create this idea, and this is nowhere in the first movie. I don't know if it's in the second movie. This idea that there's a demon named Toby. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So Toby becomes Toby Chew, Toby Chew, yeah, Charlie Chan. He beca- oh, right, right. Yeah, exactly. He becomes flesh and... It's like a naked guy, and he just shows up, and he's super strong, and he kills the last lady who's alive, and then walks off screen. And there's two kids named Hunter. Do they explain any of that? I remembered one. There's two because there's a girl in this one that's like Hunter's sister. I couldn't really tell. There's a girl named is it Giselle or Liesel? Lesel? I forget. There's some girl that they're chasing after and yelling her name. She's a little girl. She does the thing like where her eyes are all black, as you can imagine. Dingus uh, horror movie, by the what? way. Yeah, Dingus loves they don't do that. That black eyes effect. Dingus loves that. He loves it. Dingus he loved it in the Mark Duplass Lazarus effect. Right, right. See, you call that the Mark Duplass. You call it the Olivia Wilde, right? You no, know, my favorite is in the Banshee chapter. But go ahead. Yeah. I love the black and eyes in that. Event Horizon. Why were you asking about uh, 
Paranormal Activity Ghost Dimension, Kelly Wand? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no reason at all. Believe it or not, the title of that does make sense because I think they... No, it open, doesn't. Yeah, they do. They literally open a door. The little girl has a door over her bed in her bedroom wall that goes into the ghost dimension. There's not... It was the demon. Toby was a demon. Why is it ghosts now? Huh. Who's ghost? Yeah, I like that, Kelly Wand. You know what? Maybe they answered it earlier in the movie, in the part I didn't see. Mm. <sighs> so enraged. Is that Falcon right? Hook? Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Falcon That's pretty impressive. Hoof? You said Falcon, Falcon Hoof. Yeah. Is what? about to write us a letter. That's Wait, not there's... a person's name. Yep. What? That's a listener's name. Falcon Hoof. Like the hoof of a falcon. Yeah. Wow. That's someone's awesome. name. I know. How do we I do think, it? You know what? I think I the listeners feel are like making... we get credit. No, I think they're making fake email accounts, yeah. like trying to come up with really cool names. Right. Which, uh, Falcon, good work, by the way. Yeah. Let's look out for Donkey Talon. <laughs> I, was about, I was working on that, Dingus. Sort of. you too quick. Greetings, travelers. My name is Falcon Hoof. I'm all over my thick Scottish accent. Kelly read gigglingly, but it's Kelly's topic this week, and he has a hard time with impressions, so I won't impose on him. Behold my picks. Number three, Clash of the Titans. Huh? Is Falcon Hoof one of your uh, pseudonyms, Kelly? I Wong? think so, yeah, Tom. I think you're right. Only Kelly would say Clash of the Titans. That's your theory? Scottish, Scottish accent. I wanted to see Titans clashing. I can't do it. It's too hard. How do you? I think I'm Scottish too, Tom. Did you know that? I am too. High five. Wait, we're both uh, hillbillies and Scottish. Scottish uh, people who became white trash. Absolutely, you and me both. Hmm. That explains the whole podcast thing, doesn't it? Getting back to Falcon Hoof's thing. How do you waste talent like Liam Neeson, Ralph Fiennes, and Mads Mikkelsen? Ralph. Ralph Fiennes. Number two, Prometheus. <laughs> I know the answer to this one. Uh, after multiple viewings, I still have no idea who, what, why. Is Eva remotely related to the mythical Prometheus? Are we supposed to think that? Why would someone submit themselves to multiple viewings of Prometheus? Oh, dingus. Never mind. Sorry. To find that out. <laughs> I'm just being subject. Okay. Moving on. Did he? Yeah. Remember he watched it for- harder. What 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 was the Ridley Scott thing we saw? I've completely forgotten it now. Oh, The Martian. Yeah, Dingus rewatched Prometheus for to prepare for the Martian podcast. Don't laugh. I'm a, as someone who's only seen Prometheus once, Dingus, I find that amusing. Yeah, I only seen it once, and I'm and I'm a stoner. That's how bad Prometheus is. <laughs> what if The Martian had opened with the rocket falling over and chasing Matt Damon, and he'd run the wrong way? <laughs> <laughs> then, or a yeah. potato falling over a waterfall and then disintegrating. Yeah. Never mind. That was a Prometheus that's, reference. I got that. That's the thing. That's why it's called Prometheus, is because of that waterfall scene. Like, that's supposed to make you go, oh, see? But they're just, if you just use a name from Greek myth, you can kind of call it a reservoir dog. So just go, see, I'm invoking something. If you didn't get it, it's on you. It's obviously called Prometheus for thematic reasons. My name's Damon Lindelof. Number one, Die Hard. 27 years later, I still have no idea what this title means. I never got that one either, Tom. 
did you? He never says that's not one of his signature phrases. Well, he just keeps he keeps uh, going like a battery. Like he's just he's he's just a source of energy. I don't get it when the one's called a good day to die hard and live free or die hard. One of those is a Klingon saying, I think. Which do you respect more, die hard or lethal weapon? Hmm. Lethal weapon. Don't in Lethal Weapon they explain that Mel Gibson is a lethal weapon? Yeah, yeah wasn't he a Vietnam? At one point, Danny Glover says to him, I guess we have to register you as a lethal weapon. Right. It should be called, I'm getting too old for this shit. But Die Hard makes sense. I mean, this guy cannot be stopped. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I'll I guess I mean, it's a good time. It felt weird to me at the time. By now, I've gotten used to it. It's like Falcon Twitch. Yeah. (laughs) What'd you call Falcon Twitch? I can't remember the name. Falcon Hoof. Sorry. After your great donkey joke, how hard the thing you fall on is? Is there supposed to be punctuation or emphasis? Die, comma, hard. So many interpretations. Good luck in your adventures, Falcon Hoof. Nick D. writes, Hi, guys. In honor of next week's podcast, here are my picks. Number three, The Living Daylights. Wow. Kind of the, a lot of the Bond movies don't make sense. Yeah. I agree with him. It's oh, just Ian Fleming. talking about the light of day. All right. Yeah, no, it's just Ian Fleming coming up with like cool-sounding spy turns of phrase, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, did you guess the other two? Because were, these were both my other first choices for James Bond ones that don't make sense. Moonraker kind of makes sense because he goes into space. Yeah. Uh, right, and doesn't doesn't uh, the guy literally have a golden gun? Yeah, and and doesn't doesn't George Lazenby actually work for Her Majesty's Secret Service? Yeah, I don't know that he loves Barbara Bach though. I think she's just telling herself that. Oh, uh, the point of view of that title. But it could be ironic, like an, yeah. an ironic turn of phrase. It's just uh, made love to me. Let's see. So what else is there? Uh, Doctor No is the dude's name. Yeah. Uh, uh, Thunder <laughs> Cannonball. Thunderball. Thunder. No. Thunder. Cannonball. Thunderball. That's thing? a good choice. But I think he fights a shark or something, right? In that one. <laughs> <laughs> never say called. Never say never again is just a oh, relation yeah. to what Sean Connery said. Sean Connery said, yeah. Uh, so, so any of the uh, any of the ones that we didn't name, I think. Correct. Oh, the Quantum Solace. Quantum yeah, that's, that's number one. Yeah, I never understood Quantum Solace. Well, Tom, I never had to watch that movie thanks to Tom who. Who actually? I think when one time we were on a like jogging, like relayed the entire plot of that movie. And when you got to like, there's there's hydrogen walls. Oh yeah, putting, <laughs> and I, it explodes. Right, right. Yeah, I just I didn't know they were hydrogen though. Like when I saw it, I think I wasn't reading the, the like subtitles. And there was yeah, suddenly walls are exploding. Someone later explained to me, oh, there's hydrogen tanks in there. They set that up earlier. Right. Just Wait, like, and does that have anything to do with the title? Like a quantum. Yeah, that's what you call it. Uh, uh, that's what you call the, That's how you measure the pressure. The pressure of a case of hydrogen. This is a quantum of solace. It's either between one and a hundred. So you. you <laughs> I like that you called it a case of hydrogen. Yeah, I need to buy a case. Of hydrogen. Yeah, and you order like a quantum between one and a hundred. You know, do you want the quantum of solace at? Most people get a case of hydrogen at a quantum of solace at about twenty-three. Like anything over 23, you got to be careful when the quantum goes above that. Generally, the quantum of solace under 23, you're safe. So yeah, Kelly Wan, that's totally why they call it that. Because Saul's the sun, and hydrogen blows up. 
You'll have to ask Mark Forrester, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. He's, he's better, German, I think, so who knows? You better quantum saw. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the number two on Nick D's was You Only Live Twice, which I, al- I always thought was a weird one. Because you don't. Right. Yeah, you don't live twice. And no one says that in the movie. And he goes to Japan. They don't live twice. It's not like something in their fucking religion. What did you say it was called? You Only Live Twice? Yeah, that's what they say. Who? Huh. Who says that? I see. People who believe in a very limited form of reincarnation. You only live twice, white man. Be careful. Okay. <laughs> Thing is, Bailing has to show up from time to time. You can't, you can't suppress this. Yeah, that was sixties Bailing, but it was fine. Speaking of Bailing, what about Babel? Anyway, moving on. Sorry. It's all the different languages. What are you talking about? Are you talking about the Inarito movie? Yeah, but whenever you say Bailing, I think about Babel. Because Rinko Kikuchi's in a yeah. She's not. Just, a diff- yeah, just because Japanese. they're they're both Asian dingus. Yeah, oh, that's right. It's, Dude. So racist. He calls you a wow. racist, Kelly Wand? I know. You even can say Rico Kikuchi's name. Mm-hmm. It means no worries. Racists uh, persecute thyself. Is that what they do? <laughs> Is that the verb for a racist? <laughs> Josh Lubliner writes, In honor of Halloween, I was going to do three horror movies with titles that don't make sense, but I can only think of one horror movie, so it's just three movies. Number three, you're next. Because who's next? Anybody could be next. There's no order or anything. Mm, Josh, go back and watch the opening scene. Well, I kind of see what he's saying. Because it's like, who's the you of the title? It's Larry Fessenden. It's the dude in the... uh, Oh, no, it's his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just what they're writing to, to instill terror. But do they keep? Are they only writing it to one person in particular every time, or do they only write it that one time? I feel like it's set up. Like I feel like it, it's everything makes sense to you. But it's also that part of the overall the aesthetic of the movie. I mean, that's what the movie is going for. It's this joke about horror movies. It's the. It, I mean, it's that your next thing. I mean, it, it maybe it doesn't make sense, but it's a great title. Kelly Wan, you should arrest Josh Lubliner. Are the evil dead really that evil? Or just misunderstood? <laughs> Number two of Josh Lubliner's. The misunderstood dead. Do you remember that title, Tom? Uh, the incredibly mixed up creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Oh my god, I do. But I don't think I've ever seen like, I, I might know that from Mystery Science Theater or something. I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty boring. It's no laser blast. It's like the title uh, is like it's way too dramatic a title for a movie that crappy. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like something that the writer was told by, like one of the producers, like just call it this idiot. And he's right. like, all right, fine, fuck right. you then. There's your stupid title. <laughs> Good luck fitting that on a marquee. Yeah, sucker. <laughs> I assume they don't think. Oh, it was the best title? Like. Oh, they're going to... This is going to be the most quoted title ever. Number two, Die Hard with Vengeance. Because what the heck is that word salad even supposed to mean? Die Hard (laughs) with Vengeance. He's not... Well, okay, yeah. Because there is revenge involved in that one. Because it's the brother of Hans Gruber. 
Yep, I said that. Number one, Brazil. Here's a spoiler. The movie no. doesn't take place in Brazil. No, but the song. I, you know what? When it, this came up before, uh, in on the other topic, and it's that it's that awesome song that represents being in some fantastical place that you that you remember. So that's the song that does that most evocatively. Well, it's in the it's in, it's what Terry Gilliam wanted to use for the movie. I mean, it's in the movie. Yeah, it's the soundtrack for Pete's sake. I was kind of relieved that it didn't take place in Brazil. I know. Yeah, I remember actually thinking. I was like, I don't want to see a movie about Brazil. Right. Jesus. Yeah. Who wants? Yeah. Exactly. It sounds yeah. like it's going to be political or something. Ugh. And it gets at the, absur- at the absurdity too. You know, Tom Stoppard wrote that script, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Who, who did also, Brazil? Was that Josh? Yeah. Yeah, arrest him. That's two counts that he should be arrested on. Is he the only arrest so far? Uh, you know what? I couldn't have cared less previously. But yeah, arrest Josh. Paul Weimer, <laughs> who's had a fire hose on him for his transgressions. Speaking of he's, persecuting, he's, yeah. Yeah. It's okay, because I think he's British, right? They don't get upset. We're just getting him back for that whole War of Independence thing. Yeah. We're still upset. Hi, guys. I admit it failing at Dingus's previous. <laughs> he failed it last week. At least he's contrite. Yeah. That's his characterization. I could come up with one, not even fake ones, involving cops giving dates at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> but this one from Kelly was fun and easy. See? Fun and easy. Yeah. It's like I'm like having a substitute teacher. It's fun and easy. And why do you think we've done it previously? Because it's fun and easy. Yeah. You didn't say that last week, so you didn't think of that. I wasn't sure. I was like, well, that sounds... That sounds fishy. When you say a three-by-three, I think Dingus and I have to, like, mentally process it for a while and sort of run it through an approval process. But generally, we end the podcast before the approval, before the vetting, the mental vetting is actually done. Well, we should do... Well, often there's a keyword I can can kind of mentally search, and um, the, the two topics don't have any corresponding keywords. Unfortunately, right? Because I decided to get clever with the name, and that'll teach me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, Kelly, you didn't even my own cleverness stymied me. Uh, number three. By the way, I was thinking we should even do topics we've done before. Well, we've done that. Yep. Here we are. <laughs> yep. We did one where it was uh, pick a previous three by three and sub in a more recent movie. <laughs> I think that was mine as well. Was it was it fun? I did even I even did that, Kelly. You're not even ripping off my ripple. <laughs> uh yeah, I recall liking that. It, it was no it was no calendars. I, you know what we need to do again? <laughs> we need to do another raffle. God, the calendars was hell. Um, we should do another raffle. I think people enjoyed that. And we made you know, we people yeah. were supportive of us financially. It was very cool. We should do another one of those. Yeah. Probably not around the holidays though. No, no. When people who don't know the podcast look at the list of movies we've done, that's always the first one. You know what? Year. We're warning you. Let's do that well, like on the, the crappy January season. Like To help us get through January, we're going to start another raffle where you guys vote. A dollar a vote. You just, you just send us a dollar. You pick a movie we have to do a topic on. We're going to set that up like sometime in January. So, yeah, let's wait. Do that. Maybe. All right. <laughs> we don't we need don't, the money, though. Well, no, so no. We right, right. Have- do it for free here's the thing is we uh we don't uh we don't want to like we've got pl- we've got way more movies than we can do podcasts on coming up 
Like, so it's worth a dollar each. No, no, we don't. No, we don't want to like boot a movie like The Revenant or whatever, or Star Wars: Force Awakens, in order to do a listener pick. But there are going to be plenty of movies in that window from like January to through March, crappy weeks where there's nothing we can see, where it would be an awesome opportunity to take that weekend and make it. Hey, listeners, you know, pick what we're going to see. So that's what I'm saying, like, not during the holidays. There are way too many good movies for us to sacrifice a, a week on a, a listener pick. I mean, there are lots of things we want to see and that people yeah, want no, to I, see. Yeah. Right. I just feel like the admission should be, like, a nickel or something, maybe. I Paul Weimer writes, number three, Leonard Part 6. A cheap way to try and imply this was a long-running character's latest adventure. While I appreciate that it wasn't an origin story, using a trick title to convey that is absolutely stupid <laughs> I'm just picturing Paul Weaver getting that upset about something fuck that letter part 6 well, it's kind of fashionable to hate on Bill Cosby movies these days so why yeah I don't well because he's a rapist oh, you have we'll to hate anything that. he's ever done but also to me it's like a 30 year old movie and he's it, like I, still like you know what I'm still mad about it still carrying the It'd probably be weird to like watch like Spies Like Us or something like some Bill Cosby like light whimsical comedy, wouldn't it? It would feel like well, that's, that's not a Bill Cosby movie. <laughs> Spies Like Us. Yes. <laughs> Who's in that? Dan, well, I think. Good. Yeah, Chevy Chase. What's the one where Bill Cosby's like in a buddy spy movie? Spy Part versus... Six. No, there's another one. Like it's got... Spy versus. Wait, it's uh, uh, he's Edward Spies. Spies. Yeah. It's what TV is it? Show. Oh, it's a TV it's, show. Uh, oh, okay. Well, that's my confusion. And what was it called? What's the name of it? Spy. I Spy. Oh, I Spy. Okay, right. Oh, I, yeah. I was named after the white character, I was told by my parents on I Spy. Played Robert by whom? Oh, Robert, Robert Culp? Wow, yeah. Bill Cosby. Okay. I was named after Robert Culp. Yeah, Very it seems like it would be creepy watching that these days. So Eddie Murphy's character is also named Kelly in the remake. So I was named after Eddie Murphy's character in the Famke Janssen I Spy. There's a remake of I Spy. I didn't realize that. Huh. I was named after Pluto Nash. Mirosky? Yep. Number two, Quantum of Solace. I know it's a James Bond short story title. What's it got to do with the movie? Absolutely nothing. Quantum of Solace. More like Quantum of Blank. Ah, <laughs> uh, Weimer. See, we've stirred something loose. We've awoken the dragon. Number one, eight and a half. For years, I wondered why the heck the movie was named that. It oh. makes sense what explained its position in the director's oeuvre. Am I saying that right, Tom? Oeuvre. But it should make some sense within the movie itself, especially when this is the first Fellini movie I ever saw. Yeah. It's he should have known it was the first one you'd ever see. Wait, was it his eighth movie or something? It was, yeah. It, oh. it was It was right after that, it, and he couldn't quite get over the hump, so he called it eight. Oh, that's awesome. I guess I never thought of that. Awesome. What's the half mean? The half means coitus. It's like half a movie. It's like he's just going to put that there as like a working title or something. Huh. An airplane. The musical adaptation version 9 is even worse in this regard. Call that my runner-up. Best regards, Paul Weimer. Yeah, number titles. Daniel Day-Lewis, though. Mm. In Eight and a Half? Isn't he in the musical rendition of that? That's him, no, right? No. Playing the 
Yeah, he's a nine. Yeah. Daniel Day Lewis, though. I'm rebutted. Well, he's. I mean, that, I think we've. I, this is, maybe this is in line with me saying that uh, Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. But I think I've said on the podcast before there is no role ever played by anyone that wouldn't be better if Daniel Day Lewis had played it. You can't name me one. Go ahead and Wait. Try, try it. Um, uh, Han Solo? Please. Can you imagine how awesome that would be? So a lot of times, Kelly, when people will say jokey things like, uh, you know, uh, Melissa McCarthy in, uh, I, in that spy movie. You know, haha. Uh, but that's, uh, can you imagine Daniel Day Lewis playing Han Solo? How awesome that would be? Come on. Wait, the Melissa McCarthy role was originally Harrison Ford's? It's Tom Selleck. I think you just proved my point, Kelly Wand. Jesus, a Daniel Day-Lewis Han Solo. Man, a guy can dream. Hmm. What about Peter O'Toole as C-3PO? Well, he's dead, so that's really cruel, Kelly. Oh, man. Wait, is Peter O'Toole dead? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. He died right after losing the Scientology at the Oscars. Losing what? Last King of Scotland. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I'm so lost right now. Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes number three, The Rover. Oh, play Arthur. Okay, don't. Just you know what? throw him in jail. Throw him in jail along with Josh Lubliner. They're both arrested. Put them in the same cell together. If he explains it, don't even read it. Yeah. How dare you? Actually, you know what? No, put them both in solitary. Ooh. How, how's that going to work? Well, not together. Because oh, okay. Maybe he's kidding, though. Maybe he's JK. Well, there's one way to find out. So I shouldn't read what he writes. It's up to you, Kelly. You're in charge of this three by three. Yeah, you're in charge. Disregard what I said. Um... On the surface, this one is odd, and when you really dig into the movie, the meaning is still not crystal clear, and I think that's great. Arthur. It's a double meaning. It's not only crystal clear, it's double crystal clear. Ooh. I thought. Maybe yeah. Arthur hasn't seen the whole thing. Maybe he's like me, where inst- where I came in late to Bridge of Spies. Maybe he left the rover early. Maybe it's like a reference he doesn't get. Through the last part of Crips and Peak. All right, and didn't go back and see it again. Yeah, so Arthur, check the movie out again. I think you'll find a little something in there. Or just go into the last half of Paranormal Activity that goes to mention. <laughs> Where it actually makes sense. And just think about the rover while you're watching it. What a horrible double feature. I know, I'm really <laughs> stunned. I, I, it makes me love Tom, though. Like, well, the thing he's is, the only person I know who would do that for fun. Well, that like, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to sit through all the early found footage crap where they're just watching the characters faff around with a video camera or whatever. And yeah, those are the good parts. Well, not no. I mean, they were when you have uh, Mika Sloat and Katie Featherstone, like good actors doing cool stuff. Is she in it? No, no, not at all. Oh, well, I mean, unless she's in the first part. Like she was in. She wasn't in the last half. Katie Featherstone? Yeah. No. What? They're supposed to answer all the questions, and she's not in the last half of the final movie. No, I think that was her. No, I mean, there's a lot of I could I didn't recognize anyone. No, I would recognize if that was Katie Featherstone. Wait, they need her for the last one. You would think. Uh, that stuns me. You buried the lead. Wow. You thought Katie Featherstone would be in the the last (laughs) crappy? Do you think she was in the marked ones? (laughs) 
No, but if it's the last one and it answers, like, I feel stupid for even saying what I'm saying. I'll grant you. Right. But, like... Like, like naturally, they would answer stuff that would require her to come back. And she's their biggest asset. Like, she made the movie... She was the star of the movie that made the most money, the first entry, right. that was like that made it the phenomenon. So you'd think, oh, well, she's obviously the thing that made it good. It's like doing a Blair Witch Project without going to screw up her name. Heather Witch or not. Heather, Heather Donahue. Donahue. Yeah, yeah. Why would you do such a thing? And they did it. Did you, did you remember Book of Shadows? I didn't. I didn't see any of the Blair Witch projects after the first one. I don't think. There's only one other one, right? There's only two. Oh, you yeah. know, there's a video game. I think, and maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So there was a, a movie and then a video game, which yeah, I don't. I don't know either of those. Uh, the second one's got someone you know in it, but I forget what his name is. Are you talking? The director of the second one is a, an, an awesome documentarian named, named Joe Berlinger, uh, who's done some great movies, documentaries. Now. It's uh-huh. got some good ideas. <laughs> Shut up, Dingus. <laughs> I corrected myself quickly enough. Joe nope. Berlinger does not do movies. He does documentaries. I'm going to get that drop. They're different things. Number one. Oh, wait. Number two of Arthur, Jovan, and Jelly's was Animal Kingdom. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I, first of all, that that's right there. If Maybe he missed the opening credits with that base relief, the picture. I got it. He doesn't get A24 titles. No, but I, I like the idea of him understanding my uh, kind of thrust on this. Is that it, the title might not make sense, but it's a great title, and then you have to watch the movie kind of to get a feel for it. Yeah. I thought Animal Kingdom, with the very opening shot, sort of explains like the title, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does, but it's well. it's a thematic thing purely. But I, I'm just glad he brought up Animal Kingdom, so. Well, yeah, just hearing the words is is soothing. Well, he is lo- he is locked in solitary confinement, of course, for the rover. And, and you know what, Animal Kingdom, we're going to add another month to his sentence in oh, solitary. No. Yeah, let's see what his number one pick is. Maybe we'll not well, time off in solitary. Here's the thing: here for Animal Kingdom, it goes false advertising. There are very few animals in the movie, not too many kingdoms either. So ah, that okay. sounds like a joke. Kind of being cute, right? Fair enough. But we're still locking him up. But right, okay. So is Under the Skin number one? <laughs> Don't be an asshole. God, it's obviously... Oh, wait, There Will Be Blood is the first one. Oh, yeah. But you know what? We're doubling his time in solitary. It's literally true. It's literally what happens in the movie. It's the last thing. I know. There there will be blood. Like, you sit around, you watch the rest of the movie, you're like, when is it going to happen? Is there really... Is this true? Is is the title wrong? Oh, it's not. (laughs) But it's not the obvious title from the book it's supposedly... Thank God. Yeah. yeah. About Simply a promise that betrays very little about the actual content. There will be oil, or the original title of the Upton Sinclair source material oil would have made more sense, but been decidedly less fun to say. I think it's called Milkshake. See, even that, yeah. I hope Arthur enjoys his time in solitary confinement. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you guys. Oh, you know what? I don't know that I have the authority to lock people up on your three by three, Kelly Wanda. I'm just as a prosecutor making these recommendations to you as the judge. That's right. You I think I just want to get. Something. I want to get drunk with him and just hear his case and see if he re- re- retracts. Right. These, like, because I think we could we could go look. It makes sense because of this, and then he would go, oh. But since he's writing in, we can't like just talk him down. 
So we have to throw him in prison. I mean, that's our only option. We'll talk to him in prison, and it's not like going to be an extended sentence. It's going to be like a Bridge of Spies prison sentence. You're so lightweight. Yeah, I would love to watch you trying to tie a bow tie while you're having this conversation with him. We're not talking about five three by threes. We're talking about one thing. Talking about one three by three. (laughs) You guys wait till next week. There's going to be no shenanigans with next week's. Oh shit! Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. going to be breaking saying, rules, by the way. I, I predicted earlier today, Dingus is going to be livid. I used the word about Dingus earlier, jokingly, but maybe seriously, Dingus is going to be livid about this 3x3. Three three. And I'm going to be – I this might I, – I don't know. I do, I might break the whole podcast with what I announced at the end of this uh, podcast for the 3x3. Three three. Uh, you guys – mostly you, Tom. You just – it's too hard. It's too 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 buku, too much work. Kelly you'll love this one then. All right. Dave Perkins writes, you convinced me, forget what I said. Dave Perkins writes, number three, 12 monkeys. You can count them, and there are only seven monkeys. One of the monkeys would have to count as five. I'd never heard of that happening. Wait, I thought there were literally 12 monkeys. Maybe I'm not remembering it. Aren't there? Dave knows math. All I'm going to say is Dave Oh, good point. Yeah, you don't want to go up against Dave Perkins in a mathematics question. Fair enough. That's like going up against Garrick in a brain surgery off. So Kelly Wan's talking about Bruce Garrick, a friend of ours who is a brain surgeon, who never writes into the three-by-threes. Number two, he was a guest on that one. Oh, you're right. He did our Beast of the Southern Wild podcast. The only time we've had a guest, yeah. We've had a lot of offers for guests, though. Well, I like to think our three-by-three listeners' admissions are like guests. Yeah, I like that. Even if they do result in incarceration, they're still... I was going to say, we put our guests in jail. It's like they're guests the way we're guests of the state with the police. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) We incarcerate them in our hotel. Thursday. What year? (laughs) I said Thursday. Crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Even take away both adjectives and neither things in the movie. The name of the sword isn't even an animal. They don't crouch. I feel like you could have a sword named Falcon Hoof. Like that could be the name of a sword. As a matter of fact, next time I play D and I'm going to name my sword Falcon Hoof. That's what you choose to make. <laughs> Clem Fandango. Uh, what's this happening? Is, this is Orc Slicer. This is Falcon Hoof. Yeah. Wait, see? what? Why did you name it that? Orc Slicer, Dingus, way too on the nose. Way, way too on the nose. No. you got to come at it from a different approach, like Falconhoof. <laughs> like, Dingus, only I can wield the power of Falconhoof. See? See how that fits? Oh, like, I love the, I love the phrase, the power of, from the power of Falconhoof. You don't even have to do the accent, Dingus. It comes with actual words. Like I that couldn't sort of, help it. Yeah. It just happened because okay. okay. of Fair the enough. power of Falconhoof. Falcon Hoof. So you want, you're making a mockery of it. Come, yeah, on. come on. What? That can't be his real name. Do you think he's really No, I'm talking about my sword. Oh, I'm sorry. My I'm talking about my sword. <laughs> that was what Tom was taking umbrage at. You can make fun of the listeners. Just don't make fun of my sword, man. Or Slicer. What would be awesome is if this guy's name or girl is actually Falcon Hoof. You think it's a girl's name? <laughs> It's Maybe it's pronounced differently. Falcon Hoof. I was a wee baron. Uh, uh, 
I'm legend. I'm a dog killer, more like it. I just wanted to hear Christian call me Dave. a bad. Dave, don't start with me. Also explained in the movie, isn't it? Or is it just a Vincent Price one? Dave knows he's making me mad right now. <laughs> That's that sound is. He knows right now. He knows what he's what doing. What are you mad about? There's nothing to be angry about. What? Dog killer. That's his name in the movie. I'm a dog killer. Also, by the way, a good name for a sword. Oh, Jesus. Falcon dog. Dog killer. Oh, jeez. Dog beak. See what you've done, Dave? To be actually serious for a second, this movie title makes it sound like the main character's arrogant, which he's not. <laughs> hey, you know what? I gotta be honest. Dave Perkins is kind of killing it. It does sound like something that... <laughs> All three of his are hilarious and thoughtful. Yeah, Dave is doing good. But what should it have been called? I'm alright? I'm fine. I got lucky blood. I'm doing what I can. Yeah. I die at the end. Tom, you had something to say? You wish to share with the class? That was was a good reference. I really don't understand this title and hope that you sausages can make sense of it for me. (laughs) Dave Perkins. Stir in the pot, yo. I wonder if you noticed my math error in pick number three, by the way. Dave and Michelle, who, to be honest, came up with all three picks. Ah, see? She gets it. You can count them, and there are only seven monkeys. One of the monkeys would count as five, and I've never heard of that happening. What's the math error in that? Seven and five, right? One of the monkeys would have to count as five. Oh, I see what he's saying. Right. So the other five, four, there would be, like... I kind of get it. Chris Markardson... Hey guys, number three. <laughs> the other woman. Didn't think I'd ever hear those words again. Each of the three women has two other women that the dude is cheating with. So oh, good. Women. Very nice, Chris. Yeah. yeah. When he first said that, I was like, come on. It, it totally makes sense. But yeah, he's, he's a good point. It's a matter of being plural or singular. Very nice. Yeah, it's not. So it's actually Leslie Mann's story. But even then, it only applies to the first part of the movie. Wait, wait, no, right, right, I'm sorry. It's Cameron Diaz's story, because she is the other woman, but there's another woman. No, yeah, again, it only applies to part of it, right, it makes no sense. Number two, After Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. If they come back to Earth while they're calling it After Earth, shouldn't the title reflect the poor acting in the movie? Ralph! Um. Yeah, it is Earth. It's not after. Yeah, he I, I, he's right though. I mean, it's not. Did Earth get blown up in that movie? I'm not no, remembering. Like Earth is still around. Like it's not. Okay. It's still Earth. No, but it's them dealing with after Earth. It's where they go after Earth. Right. Uh. Hmm. Which is which the movie doesn't cover because they mostly spend it on Earth in the movie. Wait, I thought. What are you talking about? Oh, oh, oh! You're right. Oh my gosh, you're totally right. Yeah, I was thinking, no, it's some alien planet, but you're right, it is Earth. It's the Once after- they get off Earth, they just go home, so that's what the movie should be called. Right. Well, it... Go uh, home? Yeah. Home. Okay. Number one, the Avengers. Yeah, that's one of my runners-up. But I couldn't Isn't choose it? it because, yeah, it's it's an idiotic yeah. title, but go ahead, it say is. what Chris says. 
It's he's saying what I think we all thought, which is they don't seem to be avenging very much in the movies. I suppose you could make an argument that they were avenging Agent Coulson's death, but only half the team knew about it. If Tony Stark or Steve Rogers had picked up the dying Coulson in his arms and said in Ricardo Monobon voice, I will avenge you, then I could believe that the team's motive was avenging his death. Thanks, guys, Chris. It is funny that it, like Joss Whedon puts has to he like feels obligated to put in some line where uh, Robert Downey Jr. says something about, if we can't save the Earth, we can damn sure avenge it, right? Like, doesn't he say that? Oh, does well, he? Yeah, yeah, he says, uh, if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn sure we will avenge it. Which is, it just sounds like, at some point down the line, the comic books they came lose up Earth. with this name, and they call it the Avengers for some reason, and then it completely loses track of that. Joss Whedon is doing this adaptation. But they got like, they called themselves that from issue one. Like, we're the Avengers, like, before the yeah, video. Like, it sort of implies a failure to come. It's just a cool name. It doesn't mean anything as far as the movies are concerned. Mm, well, the X-Men aren't all men, and the Fantastic Four aren't that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Four aren't that. <laughs> there are four of them. And the Incredible the Hulk is pretty credible. Yeah. Spider-Man's not that amazing. And he's not really a spider. He's not much of a man. He's a kid. Iron Man, it's not really iron. But I love that, that Chris brought up the Avengers, because I totally agree with that. I mean, even though I, I freaking love that movie, it might be one of my favorite movies of all time. Um the whole idea of what avenging means. <laughs> and I love that Tom brought that up, is that they have to actually shoehorn that line in where Tony Stark says, you can damn sure we're going to avenge it. And I can feel like everybody in the room going, what? Why? Why? What? Let's just protect it. What, what do you want to... Why are you even saying we're going to fail? Stop that. Yeah, they should be called the protectors. <laughs> that sounds so sad. Avengers somehow sounds much more hard-edged and awesome than the protectors. Or even shield. Yeah, it's it's proactive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Protectors is just shield. Reactive, just, yeah. Shield, exactly. Yeah. Hydra. To me, the Decepticons always had a really stupid name. <laughs> if you ask me, Tom. What about half orcs, Tom? How do you feel about them? Do you? Uh, what alignment are they? Exactly. Yeah. Chaotic neutral. Hmm. Depends on the class. Um, did you have any runners up? I had two thousand one since it takes place in ape times. Uh, I did not look my runners up from the last what? topic. I didn't look them up from the last topic. I forgot what they would have been, but I'm sure I did. You can't just like pull one out of your ass instantly because it's just titles. A star is born. She's not born during it. No, to American Beauty. Ah, that one's good. See, she's not that good looking. Goodwill Hunting, I hate, but then I mm. kind of hate it because it's explained by a line later in the movie. High tension, how about that? Does high tension make any sense? What about Whiteout? What about Match Point? <laughs> Wait, that's a good one. Because there's no match. <laughs> there's no right? point. No, there's no point. The Stardust memories make sense? No. Does, it? Does Resident Evil make sense? Not a movie. Yeah, what? It's one of your favorite movies. Video game. 
Does Flowers for Algernon make any sense? Does Hercules make sense? Maybe we should move on to Tom's next time. All right, yeah, so uh, uh, you, sometimes we have difficult three-by-threes, like Dingus has watched Singing in the Rain, and there's a point where like Fred Astaire has jiggled his cufflinks, and so Dingus is like, oh, three-by-three cufflinks. And so we have to like Google cufflinks movie. We have to come up with nice. Those are the difficult ones. This is the opposite of that. But unlike Kelly Wand, which sounds like, eh, goofy title, and you can just say anything, yeah. this one is also very specific. Now, I'm hoping I'm not setting a trend here, uh, but Kelly Wan, this one is your fault. I already know at least one of your picks. What I want from you guys next week, it's going to require a little homework, not a lot. The homework is very simple. I want your three favorite lines from the movie Bone Tomahawk. Very simple. All you got to do is pick three of them. You know what? Maybe you only have one of them. That's fine. Send them in to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. Needless to say, there might be some spoilers uh, in this discussion uh, of Bone Tomahawk. Um, it's available on video on demand. Uh, but I think it's a worthy topic. And <laughs> it's also maybe the only way to get Dingus to see the movie. So I might have uh, three what? He hasn't seen it yet? No, he hasn't. Does it have to be a spoken line? Mm, trying to think, because well, you emailed me one of your picks, and it yeah, was like, yeah, and I was like, and it didn't respond because I was like, you know what? That's going to be a topic. We're gonna ha- we're gonna discuss that hmm. uh, because I do think uh, the the script are you gonna, the script uh, does uh, stand up under that kind of scrutiny. Are you gonna do good writing, bad writing, or does it? No, it's all good. Bad movies. No, so it's yeah. all good writing, Kelly Wand. See, there's bad writing. Sucks. See, you don't. That game only works with bad movies, but. You keep making us see good movies. Right, I know. Well, sometimes bad movies do have good writing in them, yeah. Right. See, that's your point, I think. Uh, and also next week, we're going to see Spectre. Oh, wait, tell people how to write in that thing. I did. I mentioned it, yeah. They can they can oh. email it in. Uh, naturally, it will require seeing Bone Tomahawk. Uh, I guess you could watch the trailer. Maybe there's lines in that. But I recommend seeing the movie instead. Uh, picking your three favorite lines. Uh, and we'll discuss them next week after we have seen Spectre. Mm. That title doesn't make any sense. We, uh, it's the name of the... Uh, Kelly Wan, don't you start. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mzorgski. That's Chris Morosky. And we also had Kelly Wand. Mannequin 2, they're not on the move. What? It doesn't... I, it's he. It's not a Clockwork Orange. It's it's not a Requiem for a Dream. What? It's not a Dead Poet Society. It's not. They can't. He doesn't. He's not a rebel without a cause. I, you know. They're not the usual suspects. Let's see. 
visitors. You mind if I fetch my teeth? Not quite my tempo. It's all good. No worries. Here we go. Gary Powers. Nice. It's not a country for old men. It's not 21 grams. Uh, all right. I think I got it here. 